Hello, my name is Eugene. Check out the big brain on you. Now I've heard the stories. I have just one more question, Colonel. Do I feel lucky? <sighs> Talking to me? I'm seven feet tall. Oh. And I defeat superstars by the hundreds. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! How about sadomasochistic activity? Uh-oh. Have you ever been in a lingerie pillow fight? What'd you just say? And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. That wasn't That's not cool. I like women like that. You hear that, idiot? Are you talking to me? In all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. Come on, man, we're going to WrestleMania. Woo, yeah. WrestleMania. 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 I'll see you at WrestleMania. talking to me? Guys, guys, your fame is well deserved. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. You must be Hector Reborn. Or is it Hercules? Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slay! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. Who? are you? I am the master of the middle finger. Chief ass whooper of sorry sons of bitches. Beer drinker among beer drinkers. Truster of no one. And I will stomp a mud hole in your ass and walk it dry. My name is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And tonight, I unleash hell! Christie's outfit, it's WrestleMania, dear Christie. This was low rent. This looked like something that I would see at 
you know, a strip club post WrestleMania, which is not out of the question of having happened in the past years. Not this one, though. I'm a bit worried about you, Stephen, as well, because that's the second time you've suggested that women are not wearing the right things for your personal <laughs> oh, enjoyment. No, no. She just it just looked low rent, I thought, rather than like it was whatever. I just thought, like, make a bit more effort. It just looked like a bad stripper's outfit, I thought. Put, put, I mean, put some, put some makeup on. Put no, some no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying she looked bad in it. She looked good in it, but I'm saying it looked cheap, is what I'm saying. Okay, what am I working with this week? Flipping out. <laughs> you didn't comment. You didn't comment on the match, Stephen. <laughs> I said, oh, I did. I did. I said I thought it was not completely atrocious, but not a long way from that. So lack of makeup clearly distracted you. <laughs> Why? Well, no, no. I'm still getting the polar bear version two uh, uh, section here. Well, I, for one, thought that Christy looked absolutely fantastic and had no problems with the way she was dressed or the makeup she was wearing either. So I didn't say anything about her makeup, and I thought she looked good in the cheap, trashy clothes that she had on. So, yeah. It's, it's all good. Let's, let's just get that bit of the way. Both of, you, both of you just shut up, right? You're really not doing yourselves any favour. Hello and welcome. This is the Random Wrestling Review and I'm Ben Spindler and today we get the key to the door as the WrestleMania series turns 21. On today's show we've got the Polar Bear, Matt Roberts. Matt, how are you doing? Yeah, some good. Although apparently not understanding about keys and doors. Yeah, so you didn't you didn't get my uh, my intro there. So it's traditional, isn't it? When you're 21 you get the key to the door. It's a tradition. Oh uh, yeah, okay. So basically it wasn't that you didn't get it, you were just too stupid. <laughs> Did you know what? I... I think I had one when I was 21, but even then I was like, what the fuck is this about? So yeah, not, not really clued up on the key to the door thingy. Oh, I had a key to the, my door when I was about 13, 14, because I had to regularly let myself in after school on my own, oh, so. So it's a key to your house? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think All so. All right. And that's the other person on our show today is Mr. Stephen Coriander. Stephen, how are you doing? I am simply marvellous. <laughs> wow. <laughs> some, people, some people think you taste like soap, not us, of course. Hmm. You get that one, Matt? Get that reference? No. Coriander <laughs> reference. Fucking hell. <laughs> it's a good start, isn't it? This is oh, thrilling. Yeah. Ba- great banter, as Richard Keyes would say. <laughs> it was just banter, but it's going to turn very, very personal very, very soon it's, if Matt it's, doesn't... It's education to me. It's how we do How we both do it. Matt, I haven't seen you for like a month now, because obviously we didn't have you on the last episode. Strange for me. It's weird. Um, it feels like I've been away for an absolute lifetime. So I was more than geared up to, uh, to, to get into this today, to be fair. That's good news. That's good to hear. Now, we're recording this on the weekend of Double or Nothing and of Night of Champions. Matt doesn't know anything about what happened on Double or Nothing, and he's going to watch it after this recording so i'm really looking forward to sort of lording that over him and pretending you know, right bastard potentially <laughs> giving away spoilers for the show that he's going to watch but of course by the time you listen to this our dear listener you'll either watch double or nothing and you'll be fully aware of what happened or you won't have cared in the first place and therefore it won't make any difference to you today we're covering wrestlemania 21 uh, Stephen, let's start with you for a moment were, were you at this one as well yes i'm all over this yeah, like you a are. bad rash. Yes, I am. Stephen can be seen on the hard cam pretty much throughout the show, although disappointingly not quite as much as I was hoping for. I was hoping there's a few people. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it, Stephen. When you were, what were you, like 22, 3 at this point? 23. Yeah. You did look like a lot of other people in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so there's a few times when you can see somebody like, oh, is that Stephen? Oh no, that's not him. That might be him. Oh no, that's not him. And then you see you slightly raised is what I got the impression of. Slightly raised yes. up. Yeah, absolutely. I was usually it's the most pale person in the crowd is uh, is me if I if I appear on. But yes, 23. It was a long it's a long time ago. I'm looking at my my eye. It feels like it's been a very long weekend with stardom, night of champions, AEW. I feel like I'm looking about 55 rather than 41 in the in the eyes now. So yes, but I, I, but this is going to massively uplift me. It's just what I need after a long weekend of wrestling. Trip back to your youth. Yes. Um. Uh, well, as we found out when we watched wrestlemania 20 Stephen, you may usually be the most pale person in the audience but not a wrestling audience because wrestling audiences are notoriously pale they must spend their entire time indoors and wearing beanies when there's absolutely no need to oh <laughs> yes at, at least of... 20 years ago apparently anyway yeah there were lots of beanies ringside for wrestlemania 19 i don't know what was going on there like it was almost every other person who had a beanie on t Ortiz had a beanie on as well i believe wow yeah. maybe that's why they maybe that's it they were all just mm, trying to be like t Ortiz. Well, it always looks like a dick so wrestlemania 21 what were we expecting i'm gonna go first this time because i think oh stevens stevens was there and i think matt this is right in the wheelhouse of your wwe viewing so i'm gonna start because it certainly wasn't for me so once again i realized sort of halfway through the show i don't think i've watched all of this i I really don't think i've watched all of it when i watched wrestlemania 20 i realized i'd seen bits but not seen it all this is the same i think i've picked cherry picked some of the matches to watch and then the rest i've just gone oh fuck it i can't bother it i did own it on dvd I own all the WrestleManias on DVD um, up to a certain point, but I just didn't. I just don't think I ever got it out of the wrapping and actually watched it. It was just more of a collection thing than anything else. So this was, a, you know, this was something I was looking forward to. Now my, I, and I don't know if this is a recollection of the show or just an impression of the show I got without having really watched it before. Is that this would start very well and end very badly, and that was my thought process going in my thinking of this is what this show is as far as I can tell. But as I said, that might have been just purely on the reputation of the wrestlers involved in the matches and then the lineup that i could see prior to watching it so so who knows if that was really a memory or actually just a guess that i'd made a long time ago and why i'd never actually watched it i don't know matt let's uh, what was your kind of expectations i was massively looking forward to this one at the time this was my very first wrestlemania viewing party with a group of friends of mine the very first time group of us all got together we all chipped in it was on box office we stayed over at my mate's house and god bless it like his parents you know they tried to be nice about it but like I don't think they realised how late we were going to be up watching it. And they were, you know, they were still there. Like, they must have went to bed, like, 9, 10 o'clock. And, you know, they were probably thinking we'd be in bed not long after. And then, of course, you know, once it started kicking in and we got excited and were screaming at the results, you know, they came down telling us to shut the hell up. It got to a point where we eventually had to be a little bit quiet. I think there was, out of all of us there, two of us, myself included, my other friend Lloyd, were probably the biggest wrestling fans. The rest were kind of just there for a laugh. And it just got to the point where everybody fell asleep the last person up to watch the entire show the polar bear Stephen, what about you i was really pumped to watch this show again i must be honest i haven't watched it for a long time this is some really fond memories for me so yeah i was really looking forward to it i don't suppose you've got any i know it doesn't really matter to this show but i don't suppose you've got any uh, report on the weather that was at the time Stephen. oh I, I i don't need to look, even look back it was a phenomenal weekend in los angeles that weekend i remember we had an autograph session at the 
oh god, I can't remember what the hotel was. The hotel the wrestling was wrestlers were staying at was in Universal Complex, and there was a pool. I think Rhino was having a particularly bad weekend. He was walking around on the phone arguing with someone. Oh, that's Do you know about this, Matt? The- <laughs> He smashed a um, a flower pot and got yeah, sacked. Yeah. I think he, he was divorced from his wife or something. That's it. And yeah. in, in anger, he threw a flower pot across the room in front of people, and they sacked him over it. <laughs> and when we were queuing up, you could kind of see out to the pool, like Ric Flair and people were out there. I can't remember who we met. See, my memory's going as I'm, I'm getting older. But yeah, it was love. <laughs> it was incredible weekend. I don't think I wore shorts to WrestleMania. I may have bottled that, but um, yeah, it was like it was phenomenal, phenomenal weather. So yes, I would say if I had to guess. About 24 degrees. Just a bit higher than it is right now in the UK as we record this. Okay, talking points, straight into it. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Matt, because you haven't been here for... I know, Stephen, you haven't also been here for a month, but, you know, you that's regular for you. For Matt, it's a little bit different. So, I'm leaning on Matt. What was your talking point coming out of this show? There was loads that I could have gone with, but the one I decided to go with is The Undertaker. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about The Undertaker, now, we'll we'll get to his match in a minute, you know, the match versus Randy Orton. Part of the reason I wanted to talk about Undertaker here is because it is a little bit of sort of forward thinking looking ahead to to the career that he had after this Wrestlemania and, and so on but as we've been watching these shows back now obviously I've got to see a lot of his work up until this point and like I said you know thinking ahead about the, the quality of matches that he had this with the exception of the next Wrestlemania spoiler alert people I think between this one and it might be Wrestlemania 30 perhaps maybe 31 The Undertaker had one of the best stretches of matches of any performer I think I can ever remember. He either had a very, very, very good match or match of the night or most memorable moment of the night. Every WrestleMania from this one hereafter for me, again, with the exception of next year's spoiler alert. But looking at this one as sort of a starting point, this is really where, like on the commentary, they were talking about his legendary career and, you know, his legendary WrestleMania run up until this point. And I was thinking, oh, okay, yeah, I mean, in terms of how long he's been doing it, you, you could certainly make that case but I I wasn't really feeling it but you could definitely looking back now I mean, again, that I thought that this match versus Randy Orton was excellent and was a lot better than, than a lot of people anticipated. He damn well had his working shoes on and for many years after. And like I said, that this was the starting point of that. And no, not only that, but this is a fascinating match just because this was the very first time where they finally decided to, oh, by the way, he has the streak. Let's go for it. Somebody's going to go for that streak. And it felt important. And I know that I have shat on The Undertaker's gimmick, you know, in terms of the, the zombie character. Again, all that stuff, like I said, is not for me. So I thought, you know what? Considering how much I probably will continue to rip on that gimmick for future shows, I'm going to give him his flowers here. This was fantastic performance by The Undertaker. Like I said, that the match was absolutely incredible. Yeah, props to the dead man. The match is 14 minutes. The Undertaker wins, obviously, with a tombstone, obviously, and The Undertaker goes 13-0 and as a consequence. Stephen, what did you make of the match? I found myself having quite a visceral reaction to Matt saying props to the dead man. That made me feel a little bit sick. Do you know what, Matt? I've got in my notes that Undertaker had turned 40 the week before this, and I've written, I hope he had a crap birthday. Um, <laughs> Just because I don't like him very much. So, yeah, I hope you had a really shit 40th with that Sarah or Sarah or whatever her fucking name was. Uh, I hope that tattoo removal really hurt as well. Um, wow, <laughs> crikey. Right, right r- rant here. Well, uh, what did I think of this? You get on today. Christ. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, gr- I can grease that. Do you know what? I'm re- I was really looking forward to this. And I am, I am still up for this massively. I'm just, I just feel like I've turned into a bit of a tired 
grizzly baby in the last five minutes. So that's what you're going to get this, off this evening. Right, I don't have a habit of going back to watch Randy Orton matches because he's one of the most boring, overly pushed wrestlers in the history of planet Earth. But something that struck me during the video package for this was how gorgeous young Randy Orton was. And that's not to say... <laughs> It's not to say that Randy isn't now an absolute dilf, definitely. But this young one, chiseled jawline for the ages, what a hairline and a face that could melt hearts. His music, on the other hand, hey, nothing you can say. What was no, no. that? No, no, Terrible. no, 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 no. <laughs> don't be insulting the best Randy Orton theme song there's ever been. Are you joking? No, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even going to comment because, to be honest, I think I made my <laughs> feelings perfectly clear on this when we did wrestle. <laughs> both, both Stephen and Matt are doing the Randy Orton pose, but with with massive oh, smiles, good. with DDP smiles on their faces, which doesn't make any sense. But I'm not going. I made my feelings perfectly clear on Matt's music taste in the past. Just take it as read that that's how I feel about everything that's on the show, unless I say otherwise. Basically, okay. that's the way we will we'll play it. This week. I enjoyed Taz trying to make us believe that Undertaker was floating to the ring rather than being on like a kid's scooter covered by his leather jacket. And I wonder how much consideration was given to Randy Orton winning here. Uh, but he was about to go on sabbatical as he needed shoulder surgery. So I kind of felt that was taken away by that. But without that, I want, I want, I do, I know Randy had some issues around this time. It's probably fair to say as well. Um, but I thought by the end, this got really good. Uh, there were two really great near falls after um, the Bob Orton cast shot on Lace of the Arc. And I remember I moaned to the guy in front of me uh, that I felt Randy should have kicked out of at least one tombstone. He sort of scolded me about how rare it was for someone to do that. But I thought that Randy would have come out of this with a bit more had he done so. But yeah, this was really good, I thought. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really good match. It was better, as you, to your point, Matt, it was better than I thought it was going to be. The bit that really got me was that RKO towards, yeah, obviously reverses the arcade, reverses a t- an attempt at a chokeslam. Uh, and I thought that was excellent. But then the near fall that came as a result of that was even better it was just it really got people people thought that was going to be the end because it was such a kind of unique way of applying the rko that it just seemed naturally like it would be the end of a match so i thought that was great how it really sold the crowd and the potential for randy orton to win and i guess we're kind of in a sweet spot aren't we between undertaker's winning streak is now long enough for it to mean something but it's not so long that you're just like well he's not going to lose is he so it's kind of like it, it's just in that sweet spot and it, that sweet spot doesn't really last very long maybe one two years unfortunately one of them in regards to what you were talking about earlier on Matt is against Mark Henry but the, you know this is in that sweet spot and that is a great great moment I thought the match overall was very good but I wouldn't I wouldn't go spectacular I think it was very good but the end was what made it the I just thought the end was, was excellent to what you were talking about Matt so I just wanted to uh, kind of think about that a little bit more so were you saying that prior to this point in terms of what you've seen now you weren't really convinced on the Undertaker's run yeah like they, they big him up on commentary like you know he's had this you know when they, when they talk about his Wrestlemania run specifically you know they talk but he's had this amazing and legendary WrestleMania run. And in terms of how many appearances he's been there, I suppose you could say that. But but in terms of, you know, the match quality stories he's had with people, eh, not so much. I, I don't think so. But then you look back now, particularly, like I said, between, you know, this WrestleMania and a couple of WrestleManias ahead. For me, he he was he, like Shawn Michaels calling himself Mr. You know, Mr. Re- Mr. Wrestle. I was going to say Mrs. WrestleMania then. Mr. WrestleMania. I, I honestly think that Undertaker had that 
clean for many years. And to the point of if he wasn't on the show, it didn't feel like a WrestleMania. So he earned that legendary status as a WrestleMania performer for me. And part of the starting point was this one. To be fair, Undertaker's late career work, as much of a dick as he is with the guns backstage and blah, blah, blah. His late career work was phenomenal given what he put his body through. Even as late as 20, this wasn't WrestleMania, but even as late as 2015, he had a really good match with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, I think it was. Yeah, that was yeah. probably his last really good one, wasn't it? I think with the was that with the, the funny roll up or something. I, I think or the and then did they have a rematch where they got the board the ring boards out? There were two, um, weren't there? Yeah, the hell, that was a Hell in a Cell rematch they had. Yeah, yeah. And that the was, Hell in a Cell I can remember being really good. I really liked the Hell in a Cell match. Yeah, so to, to be fair to him, like he 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 did you know he did do well late in career certainly. I mean, I think the thing is is that I don't think that in terms of the legacy prior to this point, I don't think match quality has got anything to do with it. I don't think it matters at all. The whole point is he's amassed twelve victories prior to this, and that's twelve years of WrestleMania he has to have been at, and he's missed a couple on the way. He wasn't at WrestleMania ten, he's not at WrestleMania two thousand. So he's had a really long period of time where he's not not lost, and he's beaten. As I say, I think that they added Ric Flair as a sort of look at this. Rick Flair, Jimmy Snooker, Jake the Snake Roberts, Kane, Big Show, you know, they're adding names. And actually, at the time, not particularly impressive to beat the Big Show in a handicap match, not particularly impressive to beat Ric Flair when he's about 75. But <laughs> but when you can list them off and not allude to the context, it then amounts to something else. So I think I think you but you're probably right in the sense that it wasn't it, it just wasn't really acknowledged much in terms of the streak. And I think by this point they were like, well, he's not lost, he's already won twelve, we've got these names we can now list off we can reel off as, as if like it's really impressive you know from now on we can just it's it's the art of wrestling <laughs> it's the art of wrestling is is building something out of nothing or at least building something massive out of something that's relatively mediocre in general but they've made it out to be something spectacular through the promotion of wow this streak and wow you know he's beating all these people yeah like th- th- this is for me where it became a big deal like you know every year wrestlemania was you know not only was it you know the biggest show of the year you know you get your royal rumble winners challenges for the matches but you'd get the undertaker streak match and that was something that like i said from this this point onwards is something i'd look forward to every year so Stephen, what do you uh, want to pick out from the show oh i'm really struggling here because this for, for, usually I'll I'll list a couple of uh, talking points, but I haven't done that, and I was just <laughs> going through my notes to try and decide. I'm happy to tag out to you, Ben, if you've got one. Yeah, okay. Uh, one literally just came to me, and I, and I think I want to talk about it because I think it might be a little bit controversial. Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle. Oh, cracking match. Cracking match. Just come, Matt. <laughs> twice twice in a row crack a match amazing match not as good as people say it is i was a little bit bored in the first five six minutes again kurt angle did the same thing against eddie guerrero too much wrestling wrestling stuff for me at the beginning i don't mind wrestling but i like pro wrestling not amateur wrestling and that's my issue with this these Kurt Angle bits and pieces is it's all amateur it's just rolling around the floor boring a senseless with nothing then the match got really really good really good like amazing and then they led to this sort of end bit where I was like oh right this is amazing they're exchanging moves exchanging holds fantastic and then they completely took me out of the moment there's one near fall where Shawn Michaels pins Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle doesn't kick out to about 3.5 seconds and I'm like well you've just fucking ruined it and it really ruined it for me it com- I was like you've completely taken me out of the moment at the moment all the momentum from me was lost i was just like oh what a, what a letdown and it really pissed me off music 
think so, possibly. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but I just like oh. late, didn't he? Guy is so late, and he had, and the referee had to hold himself up, and I just hate it when that happens. I, and uh, this is interesting because this kind of links to something I saw at Night of Champions this weekend, because especially now we've got high definition, you can see the facial expressions of the wrestlers when they're led down, and they always, you know, when they're going to kick out because they've got their eyes open because they're looking at the referee. And I'm like, can you just in your mind count it? The referee's not changing the rhythm of his count during this three count. You know when the third fall is when the third slap of the mat's gonna happen just kick out before that point it's not hard like you don't have to watch his hand come no, back know when it's gonna be hit and that was what and this is one of those things where i was like come on kurt just just kick out before the fucking three count and it really honestly it really bugged me sensational match but that just took me out of it so much that i really marked it down for it because it just it bugged the hell out of me so that's that's my talking point and it's really a broader thing which is just for because he's not the only one guilty of it don't get me wrong people people do this all the time in every promotion to try and amp up the drama but for me it's cheap and it also takes you out of the moment because you're like well he didn't kick out like he, he was he was pinned the referee should have counted the shoulder to the mat and yeah as i said i saw it at night of champions people watching the referee all the time as well which is part of the same thing which ultimately again takes you out of the moment because you know they're going to kick out you know if they close their eyes they're going to lose because they've now they obviously don't care anymore so yeah i think they've got i i think in general when this happens i'm going to keep pulling it up because it really bugs the hell out of me but secondly in 2023 now we've got high definition the wrestlers desperately need to find a way of not looking at the referee's hand as they come down yeah great so anyway the match itself 27 <laughs> 27 minutes uh is won by kurt angle when he uses the ankle lock for the second time and Shawn michaels cannot get a away from it and uh, taps out I, I mean, I did like the end of that. I did like the end of it. I did. I, did, I thought the end was uh, uh, amazing. You know, and the fact that Sean tapped is a clean finish. Wonderful. Like, I don't I don't expect that from WWE much, especially prior to this point. It was not common for baby faces to tap ever. In fact, I, I find it it's great that Sean did it in this moment because you're at WrestleMania. It's a special occasion. I get it. But I think still to this day, baby faces tap too often in, in WWE and AEW, to be honest, all wrestling again. And this is probably partially what I was brought up on. But to me, your baby face never gives up. It just doesn't tap out, which is one of the reasons I really liked Cody at Night of Champions not tapping out because I feel like he's the baby face. To make him more of a baby face, he can't give up. It just makes him look less. You know, and that's that's me talking from the perspective of a wrestling fan as opposed to any other combat fight nonsense. <laughs> it's it purely, this is pro wrestling works on the basis of the baby faces, especially the top baby faces do not tap hardly ever. In this occasion, I, I liked it because you're a special it's a special occasion and it makes sense here but it's too commonly used in general as well god i'm, I'm really ranting i'm ranting all over modern pro wrestling basically apologies but that's just that's just how i feel about this so yeah um anyway that's my take on the Kurt angle sean michaels match so that's why i thought i shall bring this up because it's at least something different it's a different take on something that i think most people will universally love and to that end i hand over to you Stephen. <laughs> I want to, I've got so many notes in this match. I will try and pick some highlights out. But um, actually, most notes are not on the match, which tends to be how I <laughs> seem to be in my appearance on the show. Matt, how do you feel about, because you're a bigger MMA fan than I am, about a Kimura being on for ages and the babyface not tapping and then passing out? <laughs> oh, this is a repeat of a conversation I had with a friend of mine over WhatsApp afterwards. No problem whatsoever with it because okay. it can happen. I, I've seen so many people say, you know, oh, how, how can you pass out, you know, like from an arm lock? If you are in that much pain from a proper Kimura, 
you can sure as shit pass out. Let me tell you. With it, your arm broken, though, presumably. You 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 would, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. that that probably be. It. I mean, the, I will say the idea of his arm being broken and then in putting it back on is a little bit odd. But yeah, but but in general, n- no problem at all with it. I struggle with it a little bit. I don't mind the choke one, like the ch- some sort of choke. But I don't know. I, oh, I just think the reality is an arm lock or an arm bar or a knee bar. You're tapping. Whoever you are, you're tapping. I don't, I can't think of too many MMA fighters that don't tap. People get choked out, but I can't think of too many fights I've seen where they don't tap. Is that but, is that a thing? Does it? Does I it know it's not. You're talking about well, you're talking about MMA. What I would say, I know the sharpshooter, for example, is not a, a, an actual move, a submission move that people are doing each other. But in the canon of pro wrestling, the sharpshooter is as bad as the Kimura or is as bad as I don't know some other major submission holders use. So, and Steve Austin passed out from the sharpshooter, and we're okay with that. So, what's the what's the problem? I think the problem now is that that's 1997 before everyone knew what mixed martial arts looked like. I think. But again, I, I I'm not sure if you're a pure pro wrestling fan. I'm not sure. It makes much difference it's just there is this other thing now where i go back to the thing that we talked about a, a long while ago which is that if you have a problem with realism then you've got a problem with all the pro wrestling because there's nobody doing a 450 splash or a moonsault or running the ropes as i said before like if you get irish whipped you're just going to stop running so yeah. that, that's you, if you've got a problem with realism you really are going to struggle with pro wrestling because every think... part of it is a problem and to me the running the ropes is just an established thing that you've now established can be part of the real if you like in mm. pro wrestling there's nothing wrong with doing that with the kimura in pro wrestling as well i think it's just red lines everyone's got their own quirks on these things haven't they really i think and um, going back to angle and michael so my first thought watching this was just imagine how much better this would have been had it been cut versus Brett in Brett's prime. Second thought, <laughs> sub out Brett, get Omega in. Third thought, sub out Kurt, just bring bring back Brett. Oh, God. Third, <laughs> so excited about this. Third thought, sub out Kurt and bring back Brett. That's a lot of Bs in that sentence. Uh, oh, well, we had to suffer through Sean. Um, in the build-up video, good old HBK said he was the best sports entertainer in the world. Yuckzo. Bring on the vomit. Um, can, I, um, can I just check something, Stephen? So what on. you actually said was, right, I'm, I'm swapping Sean Michaels out for Brett. No, I'm going to swap Brett out for Kenny Omega, and then I'm going to swap Kurt Angle out for Brett, and I'm going to have Brett versus Kenny Omega. Yes, yes, Five, that's five. exactly so, what I said. Basically, that's what said, to. let's have a completely different match. Yeah, let's have a lovely different match. Yeah, great. But from that perspective, you could have both <laughs> couldn't you? You don't need to swap them out. Mm, you could do. <laughs> You really could. I in the crowd. I saw Tom and Sam. This is this is such a weird sentence, but I'm gonna go with it. Two great young chaps from Grimsby. Uh, we met over the course of the weekend and paired up with because everything surrounding travelling in LA was fraught with danger. They decided to go to WrestleMania 21 in England shirts with England face paint on, as if they were going to a World Cup final. Now this sounds terrible. Like these are two horrible hooligans. But as I've written, genuinely lovely blokes. Uh, and let's put that outfit choice down to the innocence of youth. They joined us on a day trip down to San Diego on a tremendously dodgy Greyhound bus for Smackdown and we went to Santa Monica with them for a few so I hope life has been kind to Sam uh, and Tom if you're listening we had all sorts of weird interactions on the on the underground um, someone told an excruciatingly long story to me about having dated Marilyn Monroe and got a load of cards out and showed me pictures of her which was bizarre anytime you heard they heard an English accent you know you're going to get something awful on this thing including some conspiracy theories about Princess Diana's death which I didn't really oh. enjoy uh, we also made up a code word for imminent danger of cake now i can't there was some reason why we used the word cake i cannot remember what that was right as for the match i didn't realize there were quite so many chin locks and holds early going but this built to a wrestlemania 
Germany Classic, especially the last 10 or so minutes. I loved Angle's aggression and realism, and I really love the finish. I know, uh, Ben, we might be slightly philosophically different on this, but I do love a heel clean win, and I do think there's a lot to be said for a heel can do this role. Um, and I always harken back to Floyd Mayweather as kind of the perfect example of that. Everyone paid to see him for years and years and years because yeah. he was such an arsehole and he, we just wanted him to be beaten, but he never was. But I, I, on that point, I think we've, we've the last the last discussion we had about this, I think I made clear, I think you can do it, but you can't yeah. do it as often as wrestling does it now. Mayweather was an exception. Like mm. Most people who are massive stars and massively over as a combat sports professional are baby faces in the end at the end of the day and they and if they're the best they definitely are yeah mayweather was a different case and that's fine as a kind of exception and i think triple h of this period is kind of in that zone already yes you know what i mean so having another lower down the card is a problem for me but having said that as i said on this occasion given who's involved given it's a all-time great versus all-time great they even promote it as that they sell it as that i don't have a problem with the heel getting the clean victory by submission yeah. i would have less of a problem with the rain situation if reigns was this now and i, and I think that it doesn't I, i'm not sure these uh in in the modern era i'm not sure that uh, interference finish does much for the baby face not winning you're still stuck in the same place you might as well just be beaten i, I you know I, I think you know if cody had beat been beaten clean as a whistle at wrestlemania i think i've had a lot less of a problem with that and if cody's promos like, i just wasn't i wasn't good enough on the night you know i'll come back anyway i don't want to talk about that ever again yeah, but but you but this is i don't want to talk about that specific match but it's an interesting point you bring up about roman reigns in general is that he does win with interference every time mm. and you're right Right. But I don't think it's a new thing that it doesn't do anything for the baby face. I think it's always been that way. I think if you go back to the 80s, NWA, Dusty Rhodes, always being screwed out of the title, didn't really do anything for him in, no. the, in the end. Flair was always the bigger star because he got the job done. And people yeah. care about people getting the job done. It was one of the big problems with the way WWE treated Daniel Bryan between SummerSlam 2013 and WrestleMania 30 is that he just didn't get the job done. It doesn't matter why. He just didn't get it done and people lost faith in him. And that's a big problem. Losing faith in your baby faces. You can't have that so i think you're right it doesn't do anything for baby faces but i don't think that's a modern phenomenon i think that is something that's always been a problem and i don't think wrestling has cottoned on to it for some reason no. going back to the matter at hand i surprised myself here because i spotted myself giving sure mike was a standing ovation <laughs> Ugh, horrific horrific match of the night and my mvp is kurt angle oh god i would have given anything for you to say short mike does that that would have been hilarious <laughs> Oh, I don't even want to start with this bit, but this match was so, so close to perfect. That teeny tiny bit away from being one of the best ever. And I have alluded to it on the podcast before. And now that I got to see it back again, it pissed me off even more. I know what it is now. I know what it is now. I I remember you saying about ages ago and I was like, what is it? What's he talking about? I knew what it was. And the minute I saw it, I was like, that's that thing that Matt doesn't like. And it's even worse. Like at one point, Kurt Angle goes for an angle slam to Shawn Michaels on the ring post. Now, he was meant to hit his Shawn Michaels back on there. Oh, yes, because Shawn had the back injury. All right, okay. He didn't. He hit his leg on there. Now, that wouldn't have been a problem if not for the fact that that was obviously quite a clear point of the match and something that the commentary team started banging on about. And for the next couple of minutes, Kurt was working over the back. Now, the worst part about that is they could have got away with it if it wasn't for the fucking camera angle they decided to show, which clearly showed Sean's leg hitting the ring post. And that one camera shot immediately killed this for me. 
and I I really tried hard to to try and forget it. And don't get me wrong, came very close because I, I will say that I think that the finish was fucking phenomenal. Um, Michael Selim was fantastic. That I thought that the you know submission finish was the right finish. He was done great, and they really did do a great job to help me almost forget that. But for me, it was just so in your face, like that one camera angle. That really put a sour note on the match for me. Now, all the crap aside, taking that, trying to take that out, that this was near perfect. Other than that, all right, okay, you know, Sean accidentally need Kurt in the mouth with with the crossbody, but do you know, what? I was like, yeah, that that's, shit happens with that. That that didn't bug me. I, I will admit that the um the near fall with the three count, yeah, that I forgot about it. And then when I saw, it, I was like, oh shit, I was a bit late, but I felt you know that way about you know the spot that I mentioned. The announce table not breaking on Kurt uh, on on Kurt jumping onto it on Shawn Michaels jumping onto Kurt on it was actually I thought kind of funny. And do you know what? You don't you know you don't see the announce table hold up all the time so for once i was like eh, why not it's a change it looks different definitely different to you guys in that i really enjoyed the the sort of amateur style mat wrestling that they did early on loved it I, I don't think i've ever been so excited to see somebody get a headlock takeover on multiple attempts as well i mean you know sean kept kept getting them you know he'd get the headlock takeover and i'd be like oh he's out wrestling him. that's great but yeah like i said i mean other than you know the the, the downside which was the fucking camera angle which like i said has just upset me to no end this was as near perfect to a match as, as you're ever going to get and it, it definitely lived up to the hype the the, the, the pair of them really were the absolute bollocks off i didn't like the other thing, the reason i didn't like the wrestling wrestle bit was that i don't like the sean michaels out wrestled him i was like why how's he yeah. able to do this kurt angle I is the wrestler that. kurt angle's the wrestler fucking if he'd have if he'd have dominated it i'd have been much happier with it it's just why is Shawn michaels in control this doesn't make sense you know if you want realism that makes no sense right that is just ridiculous so and and he did it against brett as well during the iron man match and i was like again brett was the wrestler it's just not i didn't like that at all see now i think that's because kurt as the heel underestimated his babyface challenger and thought oh, i'll kick his ass easily i won't need to break a sweat and because he underestimated him that's why michaels was able to out wrestle him I mean, michaels was uh close to going to the olympics in 1984 in los angeles and uh greco-roman wrestling wasn't he so you know <laughs> yeah I th- um, ultimately he's an olympic gold medal in amateur wrestling i don't care how much you underestimate your opponent her angle's coming out on top anyway i think that's that was a major problem for me in, in, in as well with the start of the match i think the other thing the, the reason i didn't find it that perfect was it's back to really I and mean, they had they had in fairness they had a story or they had a, a grudge building into this match but it's back to promoting something on the back of it expecting it to be a great match which is not for me good booking i think that's poor booking you build it on the strength of the personal feeling between the two people or the thing that they're fighting over not this will be a great match so tune in i let them off a little bit for it because it's not one of the main arguably one of the main events but it's still again that's still a problem for me if you go if you go back in time a lot of the build to this was kurt trying to prove that he's better than sean as well because he did that the marty Gennetti stuff so there was some quite good and also this was right in the height of an actual brand split wasn't it so these guys were on yeah. two different brands and it was this was the only time in the year where they could do something so yeah i do, I do get that but it was um this was certainly the match on this night, I was looking forward to the most, definitely, going into this. And I was so happy that Angle won. I was supporting Angle the whole night. I did see that. I, n- I noted in my notes that Stephen is cheering on Kurt Angle. Yeah. That was, I guess another point I wanted to bring up is that they make a big deal of it by being at Raw and SmackDown. 
I one of them's Raw one span and the same during the Undertaker Randy Orton match and I'm just like what is going on like I don't I mean I don't care I don't understand why anyone cared <laughs> I'm never cared and especially when it came to later on when they used to do those sort of stupid inane Survivor Series matches between the two I'm like who is a flying fuck who who, who wins out of Raw and SmackDown like has anybody got brand loyalty to one of the brands that sit under WWE's banner no of course they don't no I think it was I, I know what you mean I think at the time though it was it was kind of there was definitely something in it then that it was unusual to see the two on screen at the same time because I remember I think was am I right in thinking by this time Matt they, they were doing the pay-per-views worse were single brand at this point weren't they yeah. So what what you barely got any any shows where you have Raw and SmackDown guys. So it wasn't so much like a oh, I'm a Royal guy and I want this. It was like they actually nailed. This is the only time really they ever well nailed in inverted commas that they actually got the <laughs> brand split. If you're gonna do one, this is the reason. And you create you create these things where people are kept apart. But that's not what they're doing now, are they? You've got, you know, wishy-washy stuff, which I, don't, I think is pointless. Well, also, like, even if you do keep them apart, you've got heels and faces on Raw against heels and faces on SmackDown. And the only reason to care is whether you like Raw or you like SmackDown best. And it's just, that's just silly. But it's interesting what you're saying about at this point, And that makes a lot of sense. The idea that actually this is kind of really exclusive because you won't see it again because mm. they're on different they're on different brands so that in itself explains a little bit of that for me because i was just a bit like i don't care i don't care it's raw versus smackdown and the and the commentators made a thing of that taz was like obviously i hope the undertaker wins because he's on smackdown i was like fuck off <laughs> <laughs> but not only that but they had you know they had a video game to sell you know every and just before christmas every year smackdown versus raw they had a game to sell so yeah they had to do the brand split thing uh, on a side note favorite uh, wwe video game very quickly here comes the pain oh, oh I think that's yes ma'am yeah. you finally agree on something so here comes good the pain. but i'll tell you what was really good no mercy on n64 was great i didn't have an n64 play out close second house was very very good playing raw rumble on that was excellent i feel liberated by that <laughs> i'm so <laughs> pleased that you said that straight away it well, is without a shadow of a doubt the best yeah. WWE game ever and I, I've never had more satisfaction than playing as the the, the move set that Brock Lesnar in particular had in that game Christ it was so good it was just such a playable playable game but also realistic uh, just it was yeah loved it absolutely loved it so Stephen it is now time for you you've got no you've got no other outs no, you've, no, got, you've okay. got to go for it with your talking point I'm going to slightly bottle it in that I'm going to talk about Eddie Guerrero and his last Wrestlemania mainly because I don't want to rustle my paper anymore and I wouldn't mind talking about the main events near the end because I think that's you know why not traditionalists <laughs> and stuff so yeah Eddie Eddie's last Wrestlemania match and I you know I remember at the time talking to the guy that scolded me about the uh, Undertaker thing and, so, and we were sort of talking about best opening matches in WrestleMania history and I wouldn't put this ahead of Brett and Owen but I thought this was up to this point maybe the second best and I thought this was really really good I had kind of a um, sort of feeling of doom and uneasiness watching this because I've, ju- I've just listened to half of the WrestleMania 20 show and you guys talked about sort of how Eddie looked mm. and I thought he was ginormous and you're literally talking about a guy that's got seven months left to live or, or less and that six and a half le- months left to live and he's out there performing in this you know highly athletic endeavor and it just made me feel really strange that you know could could something have been done to prevent this could he retire could he have had a heart operation was there something that could be done it's just swirling around my mind so while the match was was really good and I love the finish I'm an absolute sucker for a little reversal into a cradle this just made me feel really really odd um, so yeah Eddie Guerrero's last mania was um, was really sad really as a match I don't think this was very good which is a gigantic shame given the, the calibre of both people involved and God bless him and I'm gonna and I'm gonna tell you exactly why I don't think it was very good and I'm gonna point the finger directly at him you Rey Mysterio 
it's your fault that this match wasn't as good. And I can tell you exactly why. Because of the fucking mask he was wearing. I don't know if it was brand new. We took it out of the box, just put it on his head before he came out of the ring. But he did not get that thing sorted in time. And he spent the entire match faffing about with it. You could tell. He was clearly uncomfortable in it. And he was trying for it not to come off. And you could tell it was bothering him. And I and I vividly remember at the time, and watching this back again, I thought, exactly the same. I, I feel like the both of them didn't do themselves any favours in the run-up to this by constantly saying, we're going to outdo Halloween Havoc, which is, you know, one of their most celebrated matches they've ever had. And I don't think they, to, to borrow a phrase from you, Stephen, I don't think they were light years within uh, the Halloween Havoc match. And I remember buying the Rey Mysterio DVD years later, watching that, and I was like, I need to see the Halloween Havoc match to compare. Not even in the same universe. So that didn't help either. It, it was, I, I completely forgot that they both were tag team champions. So that, and I actually remember that, that storyline a little bit now. So I will cut them both a little bit of slack because I felt that they were both holding back a little bit because this was the start of their feud. You know, they, they had a slow burn sort of, um, you know, turn that Eddie was going to go heel, turn on Ray. In all fairness, they, they did have quite a memorable heel turn with Eddie in Madison Square Garden a couple of months later. So it, it did work quite well, despite the fact that I don't think people really wanted Eddie to go heel, but they did it anyway. So yeah, so like I said, I'll cut them some slack based on that. This this was okay. It, it really could have been a lot better. Yeah, but I don't really know what else to say other than that. For me, not not as not as good as it could have been. Count me shocked, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I thought this was as good as the Undertaker Randy Orton match. To be honest, I thought they were both on a par with one another. I thought this was a decent match. I will say it isn't a patch on their match at Halloween Havoc. They've both they're both bigger. They're both put on a lot of mass since, yeah. and that's a shame because Rey Mysterio kind of had to. He was too small. He would never have done anything in WWE without having more muscle mass. He just wouldn't have done it. Vince would have just been like, no too small you're always going to be the kind of underdog lower lower card guy you're never going to get your big moments looking the way you did maybe the same is true of eddie but obviously you know it it wasn't worth it was it let's be honest it was not yeah. worth it but they're just much bigger they're not as athletic they can't do what they used to do both of them however have still got great a great mind for the business and it's what allows Rey Mysterio to still have decent matches even now goodness knows how long into his career like 30 years into his career more than 30 years into his career it's amazing actually I think about this is amazing Rey Mysterio hasn't had more injuries I don't understand how he's still in one piece given what how long his career has been and given some of the things he did earlier in his career i think he's um, bang on the uh what's it called the, the stem cell stuff now which because right, he yeah. did go through a period in the 2010s when he was injured a fair amount but i think touch wood since he's had that it's been better i think that is that legal does he have to go down to mexico for that because in mexican pharmacies you can get all sorts of incredible stuff like i'd be bang on the testosterone if i could get some for my buyer in four weeks but yeah i mean <laughs> I i've not le- i've not learned a lesson from uh, the bodies on this show really i no. shouldn't really say that it's a bit dark isn't it there we go you've certainly not learned the lesson um no. I, you know i thought this was decent really Really decent match but it, yes it wasn't at the level of what they had previously been able to do um and it was a, it was also wwe style they both ray in particular has learned how to work the wwe style in his case it's made his in-ring output not as good as it used to be because the wwe style isn't actually that interesting it's very very repetitive very very samey you know cookie cutter effectively so it doesn't allow for as as, as good quality stuff but it's still pretty able to produce and this was a decent match and on a total side note, I 
really miss the West Coast pop as a finisher. Really do. So that's all of our talking points. But we have got, you know, we're not at the hour mark yet. And we've only covered three matches of eight. So let's let's just push ahead with one more match, shall we? We'll also go right back to the beginning of the show. We begin with Howard Finkel introducing Lillian Garcia to sing America the Beautiful. Now, last time she was doing her singing, I was quite critical of uh, Lillian Garcia. I didn't think she was up to much. This time she's better. Much, much better this time, I thought. But... The arrangement was much worse. The arrangement was ridiculous. She was like dramatizing up all the way through every single line. She tried to add a flim or a little bit of vocal gymnastics. And I was like, fuck off. Just keep it simple. Sing the damn song. Don't put yourself over Lillian. Better sung, poor arrangement. I used to give poor Lillian a real hard time with my friend Lewis about her not dressing what I consider to be age appropriately. And now... <laughs> At 41, I realised that I was a pig, a disgusting, chauvinistic pig. Damn, so Lillian, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, disgusting. So Lillian, if you're listening, cracking voice and keep rocking those tiny outfits until the day you die. <laughs> Go on, Lillian. You leave the lovely Lillian well alone. <laughs> Lewis used to slate me. He loved Lillian Gus. And I was always like, I won't even say what I used to say. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I feel bad now. So she was mid-30s at this point? Oh yeah, much younger than I am right now. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> no, I just I just didn't know how old she was. I had no I'm going to look that up, actually. I'm going to look it up. I think, no, I've just looked at that's That's kind of what she was. Oh, OK. So then we get the WrestleMania Goes Hollywood intro video with clips of the parodies of Forrest Gump, Braveheart, when Harry Met Sally, Basic Instinct, Pulp Fiction, A Few Good Men, Taxi Driver, Gladiator, and I believe Dirty Harry, though that's the one film of this lot I haven't seen. So I'm not absolutely certain, certain it is. Well, well, the film or the trailer? The film. Oh, I think so. You haven't seen that trailer then. I, out of curiosity. I've seen the films of all of them except that one. Yeah. What, what's everyone's favourite out of them? Hang on. What's your favourite in terms of what of the parody or your favourite of the, the, the film? The parody trailer, yeah. Let's do let's do both. Oh God, I don't think. Stephen, you go first. The films. Well, I'm not sure I've seen very many films. My favourite parody was certainly not Chris Benoit looking at Stacey Keeber's muff. So yeah, that's Christ. Basic Instinct. Yeah, <laughs> which I have seen. Have you seen Basic Instinct too? Because Stan Collymore's in that. No, I did want to just because Stan Collymore was in it. That's the only reason I wanted to see it. I got home from playing football one on late one Monday night. I think it's on Channel 5. So that's about half one watching it. Don't watch it. It's terrible. It's always Channel 5, isn't it? It's always mm. Channel 5. I tell you what, though. Sharon Stone, oldie but a goodie. Here you go. Oh, he's he's he's, absolutely, he's a right pick tonight. He's horrible. Yeah, someone get him off. the. Someone get him off. So what was your, Stephen, what were your favourites? Angle and Chrissy Hemi doing. When Harry okay. Met Sally was quite good. What else is there? I can't really remember, to be honest. So which, let's go through them. Which which of these films have you not seen? So we've got Forrest Gump. Yes. Matt's seen that? Seen that one, yeah. Braveheart. Unfortunately. You didn't like it, Stephen? Well, he didn't shag the English print, English princess, did he? They made well, that a, up. If you're upset by the fact they made that up, which, let's be fair, Hollywood movies make everything up. <laughs> but if you didn't like that, you should. There's a Stuart Lee riff that he does on that particular thing in front of a Scottish audience. That you will appreciate, I think. Put it this way, Ben. I was I was watching it. I was quite young when Braveheart came, came out. You obviously you were even younger. I was watching it with my. Uh, I was a very impressionable youth watching it with my father, and I think that's my father's least favourite moment in the history of cinema because he was <laughs> talking about it for an hour afterwards. So yeah. So clearly that's a, that's ingrained on me what uh, happened in that film. And it's rubbed off on you, clearly, I can tell. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, When Harry Met Sally? I have seen it, yes. Yep. Yep. Basic Instinct, well, you yep. know Stephen's seen it. Matt yep. hasn't. Pulp Fiction? Yes. Yeah, only once, though, a long time ago. Recently. Yeah. 
Uh, a Few Good Men? No. no. Oh, that's my favourite film on this list, by the way. R- really want to. Gladiator? Yeah. Yes. Taxi Driver? Nope. No. And Dirty Harry? I think it's Dirty Harry. I'm not absolutely certain. But it, it is Dirty Harry, yeah. No, I haven't seen no, that. No, I haven't seen it. Cool. No. Okay, well, as I said, I've only not seen one of them, and that was Dirty Harry. But yeah, A Few Good Men probably is my favourite. Pulp Fiction, obviously. Brilliant. I'm actually a fan of nearly every one of the films, apart from Basic Instinct, which I thought was meh. And actually, I'm not a massive fan of Gladiator. I think it's just too long. It goes on for ages Ooh. after the good stuff. Like, you get to about an hour and a half in, and you're like, all right, he's, he's told him. Oh, he's not told him. He's gone into the thing for the first time, gone into the Colosseum for the first time. You know, won his match. Just, just get to the end now, yeah? Come on. It just gets <laughs> boring after that. It just goes on and on. The Emperor had to get his heat back. <laughs> So then we get some pyro. Uh, the set is on theme, but I thought a little old fashioned looking. It was, you know, on theme for the Hollywood theme, but it was just a bit like, come on, guys, you could have done better than that, I reckon. I really liked it. Like the, well, that's the, not a surprise. The, well, like the, the, the droid, <laughs> the curtains, you know, to show the trailers. Like, oh, that's a nice little touch. Yeah, I, I liked that they were on theme. I just thought it could have been, it could have looked better. It looked a bit tatty and old, I thought. Or old theatre. Okay. Then we got the commentary team for all of the, the various commentary teams are exactly the same as last year. Jim Ross, Jerry Laura, Hugo Subinovich, Carlos Cabrera, Michael Cole and Taz. Then we have backstage. This is after the Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio Jr. match, by the way, which opens the show. Backstage, JBL with his group bump into Triple H and Ric Flair. Triple H tells him if he wants to see a wrestling god, he needs look no further than right here. JBL says he's the only world champion never to have lost, which I was like, what? Don't get that bit. Is he pretending that he's not Bradshaw? Is that what's happening? (laughs) No, he was um he was the longest he was the longest reigning champion in SmackDown history, mm. and he'd never lost since being champion, which was shit. No, nobody's lost since being champion. Surely that's why they're no. champion. <laughs> yeah. Weirdo. He says Triple H should worry about Batista and potentially losing the title for the tenth time, which I thought was a very good point. You know, if you're ten-time world champion or nine-time world champion, you've also lost it a fucking shitloads of times. They then agree to see who is still champion at the end of the night. Next up, we get Adam. Sandler and Rob Schneider shown in the crowd so the Hollywood stars really came out for this one <laughs> well, we've just been talking about films but one of the best actors in the history of planet earth was in the was in the front row and I was sitting about 15-20 feet away from him Happy Gilmore has got to be one of the best films ever I would say <laughs> I'm, I'm done. in fact I've just bought myself a novelty Happy Gilmore golf shirt for the Saturday in Marbella, and I cannot wait to wear it on Marbella golf course. What's yeah. that? Got? Is it an, is it an ice hockey shirt? Is that? No, no. Shirt? So it's it's a got it's a black golf shirt with little images of different bits from the film. So you've got like Chubbs with no hand, Happy Gilmore with a hockey stick trying to part. You've got the guy with the thing. You've got Bob Barker on it. I can't. It's just incredible. Yeah. We we all know I'm a super tolerant guy, right? But I swear to God, Adam Sandler. I do judge you. What, are, you, are there no Adam Sandler films you like, Matt? No, he is. Happy Fifty First Dates. Sorry, Ben. Have you seen Happy Gilmore? Not all of it. I've seen half of it, and That's I can't. I can't stand Adam Sandler. I mean, I I can understand people not like Adam Sandler because he is shit. But <laughs> but I don't mind his films, and Happy no. Gilmore I actually think is an excellent film. And it's got it's got Carl Weathers in it, so of course it's excellent. Yeah, um, yeah it's so good, it's so good. Fifty First Dates is a really good film as well. No, no it's really not. You no, don't, do you not like Fifty First Dates? No, no. no. I'm really surprised about that. It's like really hot. It's really lovely and heartwarming. Um, it's got Adam Sandler in. That's the problem. Have you seen the Adam Sandler film about the jewel, the jeweler guy? Now, to be fair, my best mate is like the world's biggest Adam Sandler fan. Yeah, and he has been begging. 
intriguing me to watch that. I, I'm kind of avoiding liking it because, or avoid watching it because I don't want to admit having to like it. So, I, I mean, I, I probably will at some point, but oh, fuck his that range man. is so good. Anyway, I, w- I was just disappointed that, I mean, he's there with um, Rob Schneider, who's one of his friends, but he's also mm. really good friends with Chris Rock, really good friends with Steve Buscemi. I was very disappointed not to see them two with them as well. Mm. So, that would have been really cool. I've actually, for some reason, I think it must have been this the, watching the show. I've actually on YouTube recently watched, you know, late at night when you're just waiting, you're trying to get to sleep. I recently watched a bunch of stuff of like Steve Buscemi and other people talking about Adam Sandler with like mm. glowing, like in just glowing terms about how much of a great guy he is. I don't know why. I just went down a bit of a rabbit hole and started watching him. And uh, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Wedding singer, Matt? Uh, never seen Wedding Singer. Have you, Ben, you must like what it is, 80s music, surely. Surely. I, no, I don't. I'm not a big, I'm not a big 80s fan. I'm an uh. 80s music fan. And, and I think, Stephen, I think your impression of my music taste is perhaps a little bit coloured by the fact that I've been anti-Matt's Kerrang! <laughs> but that it's not because I'm anti-Kerrang! I'm anti-Matt. Um, uh-huh. And there is some good stuff on Kerrang! Not the stuff Matt likes. But I have oh, seen yeah. it. It was a long time ago. And I actually saw it for the first time at school. There was a, mm. someone brought it in for some reason and I saw it for the first time. I've seen a lot of Adam Sandler films. I've seen Mr. Deeds. I've seen Big Daddy. I've seen Happy yeah. Gilmore. I've seen Billy Madison. I've seen The Waterboy. I've seen Spanglish, which isn't even a comedy. I've seen <laughs> I've, I've seen loads of Adam Sandler films. I don't know how or why, but I have. The one, The Longest Yard, 51st yep. Dates, not The 51st State, which sounds almost exactly the same, but it's a different <laughs> film entirely. I've seen a load of Adam Sandler films, but yeah, I, I, I accept that he's rubbish. I just happen to quite like his films for some reason. Big Daddy's excellent as well. Really good. Do you know, music wise, you've just reminded me of something at the start of the show. They overdubbed the theme of this show. Yes, they did. They, they did. did. Yeah. And it wound me up because, again, it's a song that I know Ben would love, <laughs> but they Welcome did overdub the it. Future. That's it. Yeah. You guys really haven't done it any favours with those renditions. So. <laughs> How do they not get the rights for a, for a song that's the official song of WrestleMania? How is that possible? Big time, if I remember. Big time, yeah. And so is next year, Peter Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. As well. yeah. Yeah, see, that's a bit I can't... I'm with you. I don't understand that. If you got no. them to do a deal to give you the song for the show, for the event, get the fucking rights. Come yeah. on, guys. Yeah. This is the one-off thing. It's not like you have to do it every fucking like, week. This is, this is your biggest show of the year, for fuck's sake. And this does crop up again for a second time for some of these entries which we'll get there so i think we will take a break there i was going to do another match but i think we've, we've gone over the hour mark and also you know i think that's a good place to break we've, otherwise we're going to just keep talking about adam adam sandler and the rest <laughs> oh, of them there are more hollywood stars to come later on and they are equally as big and exciting don't get don't get me wrong but for now we'll uh, we'll leave it there and we'll come back in just a moment we're going to be in the staples center when john cena <laughs> ends up worshiping at my feet just tonight. like everybody else <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna embarrass Look what the cat oh, drug is. Yeah. Look, Nate, it's the wrestling god. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you want to see a wrestling god, you've got to look no further than right here. I'd have to look in the mirror, because last time I checked, Wrestling gods don't lose, and I am the only champion in the history of this sport to have never lost. You better worry about Dave Batista and losing for the tenth time tonight. Because John Cena will be taken care of. I guarantee it. You know something, Bradshaw? 
you keep telling yourself you're good, <laughs> and I'm sure after a while, somebody will believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I am that good. Really? Yes. Really. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait till the end of the night and see who's still champion. Yes, we will. Okay, so welcome back. We have got a fair bit of the show still to cover. To, to cover? Cover is what I was going for there. Uh, before we, Gary, go into that, though, I'm going to put out a plug because in April, in May, sorry, we've had our best ever month as a podcast. It's been out, off the chart. Now, that might be, in fairness, something to do with the fact we've covered WrestleMania 17, WrestleMania 18, WrestleMania 20, and done a repost of WrestleMania uh, 19 during that period. Four of the, you know, I guess, historically most well and fondly remembered pay-per-views of all time. So probably got something to do with that. But anyway, Anyway, that's that's where we are. So if you are new to the podcast, you have been listening to us, get on over and give us a rating or a review. The last review we had on Apple was like back in October, I think, of last year. So you know, get on there, give us some give us some reviews. That would be very, very nice. And also let yourself be known to us on social media on Twitter. It's funny, isn't it? On on social media, you don't exactly know who's who's listening to you. There are people that retweet stuff and favorite stuff. You think, well, they might listen to us, but I don't know for a definite they do. It's so strange because someone someone tweeted me something the other day saying, oh, I got into mid-south and you guys are so you i think he said you guys are so kind to me and i look i thought i haven't i don't think and i look you, you know you can you can check what interactions you've had by searching yourself and searching them but i've never tweeted this guy just this random guy and then there's a guy like sweden that was listening or denmark or something i was like i've said this before but people don't do it do they they don't take that moment to reach out and tell you see you're just mm. sort of shouting into the ether with all these random people all over the place yeah. but i'm sure you see it as well it's like people listen all over the place but you don't know who they are so leave a review damn you leave well, not just review. like i said just to let us know because at least then i can i can keep you in by like engaging you on conversation and stuff on twitter or not go on then very quickly seeing as we're doing that i'll give him a shout out robert webb yes you make sure you leave a review for us i know you listen to the show leave us a review damn it david mitchell's comedy partner <laughs> No, Am but it, uh, he probably oh. thinks he's as funny as him, but no, he's not. Um, but a fr- friend of mine. Um, no, but it's a shame that it's not the real, well, the real, the famous <laughs> Robert, Robert Webb, because, uh, you know, that, that might be worth some retweets there. So on with this show, and we are up to the Money in the Bank ladder match, which I am going to write off the top. I'm going to make everyone upset straight away. Match of the night for me. Money in the Bank match here. Ooh. Um, this is Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, Christian, Shelton, Benjamin, Edge and Kane. Yes, it is the Money in the Bank ladder match. The first Money in the Bank ladder match. And that's a that's a thing in itself that's gone that far. The first one lasted 15 minutes and was won by Edge um, when he hits Benoit with a chair in the arm and then takes the victory. Gets the old briefcase, the the non-branded briefcase as it oh. was back then. I'm going to go first as well and talk talk about this match because it whilst it was my match and I want to talk about something that I did not like and found very disturbing. So WrestleMania 20, we talked about Benoit winning the WWE, no, winning the World 
heavyweight championship still cannot get my head around the two and me saying i wasn't bothered by it at all didn't didn't have any kind of emotional response to it the stuff benoit does here particularly the headbutt from the the top of the ladder and more than that the close-up of his face after he does it and the agony he is selling that he is in which i think is also not just selling he probably is in an awful lot of pain i found incredibly disturbing watching this i really struggled with it and not only that but after the match as well after edge has hit benoit with the chair in the arm they have another close-up of his face and again he's, his agony is etched all over his face and i just thought this is this is too much this is where i'm like there probably is a direct correlation between this stuff that he is doing now the way he is feeling having done this stuff now and what he would go on to do in two just over two years after this point and yeah for me that was pretty harrowing i thought seeing him writhing around in agony everything else i thought this was an excellent excellent ladder match what i liked about it very very few pauses to put ladders up set various bits of furniture up nice use of the ladder as a as a weapon not just as something that you fall off of which is another thing i've got a bit of an issue with i just vary it a little bit there's 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 other ways to use this ladder and ultimately six wrestlers i think all felt like were going for the victory from the get-go not just trying to do some stunt or do some jump or whatever really thought it was a very very good match obviously it did include major mediocre mr christian himself but what can you do they can't can't all be perfect you mean captain charisma captain charisma was definitely in this and boy does he have it in spades do you know what i i don't think it's that controversial to say this was the match of the night so i i can kind of i can kind of get your your point on that very quickly because i do want to quickly touch on this and just get the hell away from it because i don't want to spend too much time on talking about benoit but yeah um i I completely get your point there him selling the you know the the arm at the end of the match uh yeah that was that was a tough old watch and i was like no not a fan of this get rid of it soon as part of me was quite glad that we're not you know sort of picking and choosing shows anymore because if we were doing the backlash after this it was a fairly you know featured show with benoit on it and i was like don't fancy watching that so let's leave it but yeah you know other than that really good match i think it was a good use of, of all of them i think unquestionably the mvp of the match and my mvp of the night because i don't see him probably getting it ever again um it is gonna be shelton benjamin do you know what? he really did steal steal the show in well, at least in terms of in this match he was absolutely on point the t-bone suplex to edge off the ladder was great the the run up the ladder bridge the clothesline jericho off was great the sent on dive out of the ring he was he was so good you know he, he really deserves his flowers for, for this match and yeah I, like i said I, I think they all had their chance to to sort of shine they all did pretty good i know we're not the biggest fans of kane in this podcast but damn i have to admit that his entrance with all the ladders on fire i thought was badass as hell and i really did like that yeah that this was a really great match one of the best of the night really for me is one of the big sort of stamps of greatness on this show it's amazing to to really look back and and see how the concept has grown since then i really wish they would go back to just a standard briefcase with a freaking wwe branding on it but of course they're gonna brand everything don't they and and yeah and i completely agree in terms of like ladder matches spending too much time setting up the ladder falling off it just it was far more use the ladder and go just shove it in your face as a weapon that was done far more often quite brutally in some cases but really great match like i said loved everybody in it really great stuff i think by this point we made it quite clear that kane is not our problem glenn jacobs is the problem so hell we were all play- praising him during the wrestlemania 20 for his performance there so yeah kane not a problem glenn jacobs cut there we go that's, that's true my, my jaw did drop by the way i was like what the actual fuck right the first money in the bank and fink did clearly say that the contract was for a world heavyweight title 
title match in the coming year. So how did Edge cash in on WWE champion John Cena, eh? Christian's music was super. Was that a bit too melodic for you, Matt, or did you like it? That's his best theme. Okay, yeah, I agree. agree. Waterproof Blonde, yes. I love this at the time, and I think it felt like it held up pretty well, even though I've, I feel like I've watched 800 ladder matches the last 18 months. You've got another one to look forward to this evening, uh, Matt. Start yeah, the feud, Christian and uh, Wardlow. What do you do? Captain ladder match. As well. well, Captain Jeez. Charisma, yeah, crikey. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you're right about Benoit. That made my face retch when he did that top rope headbutt from the ladder. Or oh, sorry, the top. What? What was that? <laughs> it made my face retch when he did a headbutt from the top of the ladder. And um, the thing I was trying to remember during this is whether or not Edge's affair with Lita had been revealed by this point. Because I feel like nope. it had. No. Nope. Are you sure? It wasn't in any of the dirt sheets. I can tell you when it was revealed, what people yeah. and all that crap. Interesting. This is the stuff I remember. Because I feel like I might have been given Lita stick during this weekend, but. But then I also might have just dreamt about Lita and other things. It, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, the, the stuff with Lita came out just before SummerSlam. I think it was earlier than that. Tell him no, it was just before SummerSlam because that's when they then had the match. It was it was rumoured about then, but it pretty much came out just before. Well, no, Matt, Matt was released in May, actually. Well, like I said, that, when on TV, that's when they oh, started. Oh, well, no, sorry, TV. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let's t- t- separate the two things. Television, I, I'm talking about whether there were rumours of this in. I, I've subscribed to the Pro and Torch at the time, so I'd only been there that I would have known about it. But Matt Hardy was released the following month because he came out and did. I mean, I don't think social media was really the thing, but he put some stuff on his website, didn't he? Power Slam would have been my uh, source of information. Yeah, (laughs) so I don't know. I don't know. But it wasn't widely known at this point, certainly. It wasn't widely known until Matt Hardy released the information. Sounds about right there, maybe. (laughs) One thing I wanted to ask you both, because, again, not being somebody who watched at the time, really very much and also certainly not paying attention to what was going on behind the scenes i did pick up on the matt hardy stuff through paris slam but i had i was no longer buying paris slam religiously every month by this point what happened to shelton benjamin so he's on the up he's on the rise in uh, intercontinental champion as the classic match for Shawn michaels on raw what happened I think they decided he couldn't cut a promo and they gave up on him. Yeah, I, I think he quietly faded away. They did try again with the outrageously offensive Shel- Shelton's mama character. They tried again. It didn't work. Dropped it again. I, I don't know why they just, yeah, they, they decided he can't cut a promo worth a damn. And that's it. And they just wouldn't go back to him. What a shame as well, because peaked 10 years later or 10 years earlier, they're just giving him a manager, weren't they? They're mm. just giving him a manager to be the mouthpiece yeah. and they've been trying. What a shame. OK, well, that was that was just something I was interested in. We then get, oh, we get we get something, don't we? We get a little bit of a, a bit of a bit of a segment here. So first of all, Eugene comes out, he takes a microphone. He says he can't believe he's at WrestleMania. And this is his second favorite WrestleMania moment of all time. His favorite being the uh, six man tag match at WrestleMania three featuring Hillbilly Jim, uh, Little Beaver and the Haiti kid against King Kong Bundy, Little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook. Look at that. I did that from men- memory. I haven't so even written it down. Eugene was very impressed with the little people and the uh, the contributions they made to that. But he says this is the greatest night of his life. He is then interrupted by Mohammed Hassan and Davari, at which point we are now at full, I don't know what the word is, but just, yeah, like, if you want political correctness, this is not the segment for you, is what I would say. You've got a, <laughs> you've got a mentally challenged young man who is effectively a figure of fun although don't get me wrong and we've said this before 
before. Nick Dinsmore portrays it brilliantly. He's absolutely phenomenal at the at the part, but it isn't exactly the most isn't exactly handled absolutely perfectly in terms of the the way that that goes. And then you have the two Middle Eastern fellows come out and uh, portrayed as the foreign menace that obviously they are because that's the way the WWE war is going to treat them. Um, Hassan says that he doesn't like being excluded from WrestleMania. He says Hollywood and LA have a long history of bigotry. He says he's never been pinned in his career and and yet he has to take a back seat to people like Eugene. Eugene isn't on the show by the way either so that's bollocks isn't it? Hassan says he's not going to stand for this and is going to create a WrestleMania moment for himself. He and Davari then attack Eugene. Hassan locks on the only submission hold that anybody apparently from the Middle East knows, which is the camel clutch. And then Hulk Hogan's music comes on. He arrives, comes down to the ring, clears it, gets rid of the pair of them and does his posing for about half an hour. And my only thought at the end of this is what happened to Eugene? Hogan's come out to save him. Surely Eugene's got to get in there with him and do some posing. They've got to like, you know, he's got he's got to have his WrestleMania moment, which is Hogan shaking. That's the bit I thought was the worst thing about this was surely right now this is Eugene's chat. You've just talked about WrestleMania moments. Now Eugene gets to have his with Hulk Hogan posing in the ring surely i just thought that was unforgivable everything else was also unforgivable by the way but that was the, the real kind of cherry on the top of this unforgivable monstrosity that we got which is more offensive matt what what are you what are you about to jump in then what do you go you go you go sorry you go you go ahead I was good talk about the segment. To be honest. I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because I haven't heard a lot of the stuff that you guys talked about with Eugene before, and I I, I don't know what to, I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I look and I think on the surface this is offensive as fuck, surely. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm on, on this, I'll say. So I, I interviewed Nick Dinsmore for WrestleTalk, one of my last few interviews, I think. I did him and Chris Saban in the same day. And he talked about it and he said he got lots of letters from parents who thought, that it was great because their children could see a rock model on screen. I, I guess one thing that is good is they always at least treated him as a baby face and they always were, he was always a good guy, if you like. It's just, it's just wrestling's not the place for this kind of thing that needs subtlety to be done in a, in a sensitive way. It needs the subtlety to be done in a sensitive way. And wrestling just can't do that. Can't do subtlety because by definition, you have to be explicit about everything and you have to, you know, you can't be subtle about things because people can't see if you're subtle about it because a wrestling ring in the middle of a big old arena so by definition can't work so that's that's the thing with this whereas i I, i've always thought of it as a good faith attempt that was always doomed to fail or doomed to be offensive i should say hassan and davari is just it's just offensive and they've done it so many times that they just don't they've got no excuse yeah I think in a post-September 11th world, this is this ratchets up the offensiveness even higher and harder, I think. Especially when you had the whole, come which documentary it is, there's loads, the whole like war on terror and all of the alerts and all the political stuff. Maybe one of the Michael Moore documentaries, perhaps, the, the follow-up to Bowling for Columbine. Fahrenheit um, 9-11. Fahrenheit 9-11, exactly that. And all of this kind of scare stuff that was going on, this element of it was bad news, certainly. Do you know the the, the stuff with Eugene that I, I, I that I, I couldn't really forgive? Were, it would have been okay if Jerry Lawler just shut the fuck up and somebody put a mute on his microphone because you had Jr. like, oh, what a young, wonderful young man and and all that. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's nice. I can get behind that. But, oh God, I shouldn't even laugh, right? <laughs> just Jerry Lawler's like, oh, I bet he can't get dressed in the morning. And it's like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and then you do shit like that. You know, that's just stupid. But, but one thing with um with Hassan and Davari, like that particularly sort of struck me. And do you know what? I, I don't want to say that people in the crowd were racist towards the two of them. But my God, the second that Davari starts speaking in another language, the second a word comes out of his mouth, they boo him louder than I've ever heard anything just because he's the evil foreigner. <laughs> it is it is such poor taste. But do you know what? I love this segment. I thought this was a fantastic use of Hulk Hogan. I, I really did. Like, I remembered it at the time. And after watching, I thought, do you know what? That's a damn good use of him at this point in his career. So I actually quite enjoyed it. The bit with Davari speaking a language that wasn't English to Eugene. Eugene was phenomenal in this bit. He said, what are you saying? And he looked more upset and more confused than anyone's ever been on planet Earth. <laughs> he was incredible. And I'm, I must agree, Matt, the pop for Hogan was thunderous. And yeah, look, I'm sorry and all. Hogan, questionable, questionable man. Lots of reasons. Probably an understatement. But I love this. Nostalgia overload. I was smiling along in the background when this happened live like a pasty-faced, malnourished idiot. And I was tapping my foot along while writing these notes like a pasty-faced, overnourished idiot. Like 18 years <laughs> on or whatever it is. So, yeah. And I thought this this ended a tremendous tremendous first hour of WrestleMania. I thought it was such a strong first bit. And, it, and we've always talked about Undertaker and Orton, but it was really good for a long time, this show. Yeah, my, my main objection to this was the racism and the, the ableism of, of it all. But from a pure face value, not thinking about those things, it was good until Eugene is excluded from the end. And I think that is unforgivable. I really do. I just don't get that, especially given that you are going to be given criticism for your ableism as part of this. At least have him stand tall with Hogan at the end and have Hogan endorse him, like, you know, by posing with him. Instead, he, you, you've kind of, you've had him come out. You've kind of taken the mick out of him through Jerry Lawler's commentary. You then had him beaten up and then you've completely forgotten about him. And so is Hogan, the hero, so that you can do this. I just like, come on. He's got to celebrate with Hogan at the end. Hogan's family was in the crowd. It was Hogan's moment. <laughs> Hogan's had enough moments. <laughs> so then oh. we get the video package, Type Up Orton versus Undertaker, which we haven't spoken about, drawing on Orton's reputation as the legend killer and hype his credentials as a third generation superstar and youngest world champion of all time. Then Taker vowing to show Orton what it's all about. Bob Orton, Randy Orton's father, begging Taker for forgiveness. Um, and then all the while, his son comes out and attacks Taker with the RKO. And it's, a, it's all kind of revealed that it's a ruse and Bob and Randy are, are working together. This was interesting again to me as somebody who wasn't really watching through 2004, 2005. Obviously, I know a lot of what was going on, Orton winning the world title at SummerSlam. They pivoted quite quickly back to him as the heel legend killer, though. Okay. You know, obviously, when that didn't work, which I find, find interesting. And clearly, I assume he just was not getting the kind of reactions as a babyface that they wanted him to get, as probably as a consequence of how quickly he dropped the title back to Triple H in the autumn. I, I can't overstate how much they fucked up between you know between mania 20 and 21 with how much they messed up this was the randy orton rehabilitation project <laughs> this food the baby face running out was an absolute disaster um that's yeah literally that's why they got the title off him as quick as possible they tried you know over survivor series to keep it going it didn't work you know triple h practically just beat the shit out of him on Royal Rumble. That was it. He was done. Gone. Like, yeah, this literally was the start of Randy starting to get that sort of heel, you know, credentials.
credentials back and uh, do you know it's I, I i just gotta mention that i do particularly like oh no do you know what? i should have said this because now you're gonna say oh yeah he likes people beating women up but but, but the rko on stacy keebler was fucking awesome matt matt i think i think the evidence is so stacking up now <laughs> That we don't even need a jury anymore. Uh, do you know what? It, I'm leading into that one. Whatever. The thing is, it would be fine if it kind of came up once and, you know, after after we'd already accused you of being a massive misogynist. But it's consistently come up. Like, <laughs> you or you love violence against women. <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah, every time. Every no. time. You turn around and say, I loved it. Well, I was a badass RKO. We can't came out of nowhere it was the, oh it was great it was so, such a good rko i think that the person who is responsible for a good rko is the person taking it so well done stacy keebler well, well done, done stacy keebler absolutely well done stacy then we get the video hyped for trish and christy because we've already talked about the Undertaker around the match uh trish is unhappy with christy's playboy cover then spray paints slut on christy's back christy reveals that lita has been training her to wrestle and then we get this women's title match which is a four minutes and 40 second contest which ends when trish has a roll-up reverse then trish hits the chick kick and gets the win out of nowhere Stephen, let's go with you first i've perhaps i've become mildly desensitized certainly as i've got older because i was mildly shocked with the slut thing that you mentioned on christy's back christy's music was replaced matt was that one of the things you were going to say the hives walk idiot walk is a banger and they replaced it those bastards jr said christy had a lot of spunk which i guess doesn't mean exactly the same thing in the states it does here Trish Strat's music is awful, isn't it? Has that ever come up on the podcast? Whoa, it's time to rock and roll. Is it? Time? You can't like that. You can't like that, Matt, yeah, surely. Yeah, they do. It's so shit. I think there was a We Want match on at ringside in this. So I think, going back to my earlier conspiracy theory, I think it was out. Not completely atrocious, but not a long way from that, I thought, this one. This persona of Trish, heel Trish, she was so good. Like She was such a good heel. I've made no secrets of how much I do love Trish Stratus, and my God, she looked great here. Outfit, awesome, loved it, great heel. The match itself, God bless, but Christy Henry was not ready at this point. It was blinkly clear that she wasn't ready for this, but they tried, and they, they tried off the back of the fact that this was the guy who feels like a lifetime ago that they were doing it, the, the annual Diva Playboy shoot, which, again... What the hell? That was a thing back in the day. I, I can't even fathom that now. But and fair play to Christie was a really good shoot too. Uh, um, but yeah, the 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 the. the it wasn't very good. They did the best that they could. Trish got the win with a chick kick. What else can you say? Well, you could say you're right. Christie Emmy's not ready for this. Trish Stratus is also not ready to carry a match like this i.e. against someone much less experienced and not not ready basically a talented worker would be able to get something better than this but it's not quite there she's she was she was good but she wasn't good enough by this point i think she eventually got there but yeah Possibly. i do think i think there's a fair statement at this point no she uh she wasn't in the spot where, where she could have carried somebody they said it in the build-up video she's been trained by lita so we shouldn't be that surprised by this really <laughs> So then we get the hype for Angle versus Michaels. After that, we get Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top and someone from CSI in the crowd. We really are hitting the big big time now, aren't we, these guys? <laughs> All the stars. Uh, then we had Kurt Angle versus uh, Shawn Michaels match. And then we have May you May Young and Fabulous Moolah shown in the crowd. Finally, some stars. Then we have another non-wrestling segment. 
uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper is introduced to the crowd and he comes to the ring for a Piper's Pit segment. At this point, I was like, oh, my God, memory still fresh of his Morton Downey Jr. nonsense. I was like, oh, fucking hell. Here we go. He says, thank you for the honor of the Hall of Fame. He then introduces Steve Austin. Piper welcomes Austin to Piper's pit, pit and slaps him. Piper's apparently got a problem with the fact that Austin's a big rebel and likes to portray himself as such. Austin thanks Piper for having him and slaps him back. Piper says he has a lot of respect for Austin. Piper says he was pissing Vince off when the red on the back of Austin's neck was nappy rash. As the two are going back and forth, Carlito interrupts. He says they shouldn't be arguing because they have something in common neither are cool he says nobody wants to see the two of them anymore they want to see him carlos says he'd appreciate it if the two of them walk on out of here piper snatches carlito's apple away and bites the crap out of it multiple times then spits in carlito's face Carlito then attacks Piper until Austin stops him, stomps a mud hole and hits a stunner on Carlito. Austin and Piper then share a beer together until Austin stuns Piper. Naturally. What did you make of this one, this segment, Matt? It started off in a, in a bit of a train wreck because I didn't get what the fuck Piper was on about. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure I've got it written down here. Like he was talking about, you know, Stone Cold versus Vince. Uh, and how did he word it? Um, you know, oh, yeah, he, he said, I have a lot of respect for you for sticking up for Vince McMahon down on him. And <laughs> the, the, the way that he worded, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting what, what you think I'm suggesting there. But the way he phrased it, I was like, what are you about sticking up for Vince for? He used to beat the shit out of him. And it just, it, it was really poorly worded. And um, I felt, so I was like, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. The pair of them slapping each other. Good God, they both slapped the shit of each other. So that I did find quite entertaining. Yeah, just this is probably one of those things. I, I don't think they remotely had a script and they probably just said, go, go talk about whatever you want, because it felt very ad-libbed and like they, they didn't have a direction with it. Thank God Carlito came out. and I, I loved Carlito at this point. I really did. He, pardon the pun, but God, he was cool. And, you know, I really liked him. And the idea of him getting in there with those guys to to get the rub and take the stunner was awesome. The only sort of thing I've got an issue with is why they gave Piper the stunner at the end. You know, surely two legends. You know, I know Stone Cold does that to everybody, but it's Austin. You know, Come on, mate, it's Austin. No, I know the you know the legendary figures have a beer together and off you go. That that should have been no. it. No, it's Austin. Can't you don't not like anyone? That's the that's the that's the beauty of the Austin character. I don't, no, I don't think Austin should have done that. They, they, it made Piper look stupid, but there you go. But so, uh, so you're not putting Piper over. He's like sixty-five, five thousand years old by this point. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, but you know, he was, he was a baby face as well. You know, so you want him to have, you know, his feel-good moment. That was the point. Otherwise, why do they bother? The person who looked stupid was Carlito. He also looked stupid. He didn't get any rub from this. He just looked like a loser. He had a big push throughout the summer. Uh, they should have, shouldn't have done this then. But according to them, he gets a rub from this, but he doesn't. He just looks like an idiot. He does. Um, exactly. It, yeah. You know what, Matt? You pretty much nailed all of my key points, including where Roddy said about Austin being down on McMahon, which is an episode of Raw I must have missed. <laughs> oh, perhaps they cut that out on Sky Sports. The ultimate revenge. A terrible blowjob live on Raw. Yeah. R- Roddy, I thought the same about Austin stunning kind of old man Piper. But old man Piper was 50 here. 50? Wow. That's nuts, isn't it? That is a tough, tough paper round on the streets of Glasgow, I guess, Roddy Piper. Yeah, and Austin. It's always diminishing returns with Austin. And that, this was nearly my, my talking point, the kind of use of Steve Austin after his retirement match. There was some decent stuff in there with the Survivor Series in 2004, particularly when, you know, Michael's kind of fighting for him. But I actually think with every Austin appearance 
it just you never got what you wanted because you never would do that match until bizarrely he eventually did the match way after it after he should have done if he was if he was ever going to do it for me but yeah it was nice seeing Steve Austin but I thought this didn't hit at all at the level of Hogan's earlier appearance I'm sure that set that set with Steve Austin very nicely because obviously they're great pals (laughs) don't worry Matt don't worry Stephen's just jealous and bitter that Austin didn't come out of retirement for one of the ones he went to because oh, he went to sh- went to tons. He yeah. went to tons, and then in minute stops, Austin comes out of retirement. Hey, do Lewis? Yeah, we've got to go to WrestleMania next year. I've heard a rumor in Pro Wrestling Torch that Steve Austin's definitely going to wrestle. Yep, yep. You can pay me fifty p a year for the rest of the time. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Cheers. That's basically how our conversations went every single year. And you're completely right. Every year there are rumors. Every single year there are rumors. Even up to Houston in 25 when he went into the Hall of Fame. But he never did it. You got it, Matt. Yeah, it, my very first one as well. My yeah. very first one. And Scum. I got to see Stone Cold's last match, probably Vince McMahon's last match, Triple H, uh, his retirement, and laying his boots in the ring, and Undertaker's retirement. Fuck, what a, what a good one to start with. <laughs> so, they then there's a jump cut all of a sudden. I don't know what they cut out here, but it, there's something, and I don't know what mm. it is. Then we get undoubted classic i mean matt's gonna love this is combat sports so he's gonna absolutely love it because we have aki bono against the big show in a sumo match a three minute sumo match but the segment lasts quite a lot longer than that because they go through all the pre-match ritual stuff the ropes have been removed and the mat's been changed maybe that that's what they've cut is the time that's them doing that but there must have been something over the top of it so why they've cut it i'm not sure it'd be really interesting to know why akibono wins by pushing big show out stupid why is my question mark akibono is about the most unpleasant man to look at in the history <laughs> of the world he probably would be more pleasant to look like look like look at clothed but he is pretty much unclothed here and honestly i mean i just this was actually a little bit difficult to watch because I was almost being sick. <laughs> I got told off about Chrissy Hemi earlier on, so I feel feel Ben having a long hard look in the mirror about your body shaming. It's not, it's not the body <laughs> shaming. It's not because the big show's a big guy too, and that's not a problem. This, there's just something specifically. I know un- what you mean. Horrible yeah. to look at, and the two laugh and joke with each other after the match. What I'm going to come back to my question: Why? Why have they done this? Do you know why? I, I, I was asking myself that. Um, the only thing I can think of is I'm sure they had a tour of Japan either lined up or later in the year, and I don't think they'd been to Japan for ages. So I can only assume this was potentially to get them some publicity for that tour, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I headed out for refreshments before this match, and I had no memory of it at all. But I spotted myself on camera coming back with two waters. What a nutter. What an absolute nutcase. This is during my period of not drinking events because I wanted to remember everything. Big Show's robe, phenomenal. The sort of uh, pattern I would wear to the Blue Orchid back in the day. During the never-ending preamble, my friend Lewis was doing the cutting motion across his neck, which made me really laugh, as if to say, I just want this to be over. And this was some pretty specialist stuff, wasn't it? Big, meaty men slapping skin. Fair play, something for everyone. And I did wonder whether this was a shoot or not, and it wasn't. So that's, uh, yeah, the end of my expert analysis. Oh, God, no, no, definitely wasn't a shoot. Do you know what? This was something different. I have no doubt that for the majority of people in attendance, and Stephen, you could probably answer this one, they probably didn't want to see this. (laughs) I don't think a lot of people did. Um, I don't mind there being something different every now and again. The more variety you have on the show, the better. But this wasn't it. It very, you know, like you said, Ben. I pretty much was thinking afterwards, why? You know, but what 
do they possibly gain? I mean, I, I can't even remember if they did gain any like publicity in Japan over it. Um, certainly nothing, you know, massively newsworthy to this day. So I think it was just one of those that they didn't have anything for Big Show to do. This will be something different. What else? What else do you say about it? Um, other than it was, un, you know, unpleasant seeing, you know, <laughs> Big Show in a basically a nappy. No, I'm good. I, I don't need that image in my life. Yeah, I just don't get it. I don't really know why. I don't really know why they did it. I, I really don't. It didn't didn't make any sense to me. Um, Akibono had had one match prior to this match with the Big Show, uh, an actual wrestling match, I should say. Um, one worked match, I suppose, is the is the thing that was on SmackDown the week or two before WrestleMania. He did then go on to have quite an extensive professional wrestling career and he even did. won the triple crown triple, triple crown a couple of times in Japan. Did he? Yeah, he wrestled in Japan a lot, and I, in fact, I think this was the start pretty much of of his career. Yeah, triple crown champion twice in 2015. His most recent reign as well. So he was he was something like fifty. I know, yeah, he's something like fifty at that point. I mean he was only thirty-four at this point. He already looked about four hundred, but yeah. Um he also he also won the zero one world title. I don't know if that's any of any uh, you know importance at the time, but certainly all Japan obviously had fallen by uh, on hard times by the time. Yeah, very hard times. Masao was spinning in his grave thinking about that one. Anyway, didn't get it at all, didn't understand why it was there. Really, really pointless. I can't I can't explain it. That's the thing I'm struggling with. Usually even for the shit stuff, I can usually understand thinking. I can, mm. even if the even if the thinking's bad or ill-advised, I can still kind of get why they might think this would do something. This I do not know. Next is the video hype for JBL and John Cena's match for the WWE title. JBL shown helping Orlando Jordan to beat Cena for the US title. Cena says he's sick and tired of JBL holding the title. Cena FU's Teddy Long because Teddy Long won't allow JBL to face Cena on SmackDown. Then Long creates a rule that Cena can't physically attack JBL, otherwise he loses his title shot, but also that JBL can't strike Cena or Cena can react. The two then try to goad the other into hitting the other person, and then JBL has Cena arrested for vandalising his limo. Coming in for the match, JBL gets a police escort to the ring and emerges from his limo with Orlando Jordan, who he promptly sends to the back. The match then occurs. It's a just over 11-minute contest. Ends when JBL misses a clothesline from hell and Cena hoists JBL up for the FU for victory and pinfall. Before we get your comments, I'm going to go to you, Stephen, first. I'm going to refer, for the first time in a couple of weeks, to the 35 Years of WrestleMania coffee table book. I know the fact you're going to say, but go on, go for it. <laughs> What's the fact I'm going to say? There's, there's a fact you'll come up with, and I bet I know which one it is, but go on, go for it. It's not really a fact. It's an opinion I'm going to talk about. Okay. So I, don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. We'll see. For the 20th time in WrestleMania history, the WWE Championship was going to be defended, but to the anger and dismay of John Bradshaw Layfield, the match would not be the final WrestleMania 21 contest. JBL recalls, this is not to disrespect the guys in the main event, but I thought it was an awful mistake not to let Cena close the show at WrestleMania 21. It was clear that John was going to be the guy for the company. I said it then, and they disagreed with me. I think they would agree with me now. Interesting. I thought that was quite interesting that uh, JBL said that. Obviously, he would say it, given that this was his probably best chance of ever being in the main event of a WrestleMania. But there we go. Stephen. JBL's entrance was a big problem <clears throat> because he babyfaced himself to the LA crowd. Basically, they had cash coming down from the ceiling. Everyone was grabbing it. And it just was weird. There's like this very weird pro 
JBL thing. And I, I didn't have a massively negative opinion on Cena then, but I saw myself and I was having a jolly old time with the guy in front of me who hated my Randy Orton kickout suggestion, cheering everything Bradshaw did and trying to get a JBL chant going, which is actually, I need a shower. I know, I'm sorry, Matt. I'm sorry, it's disgusting. Why? <laughs> I don't know, because I just think it was one, it was just that weird, people didn't want to see this, I think. And it wasn't anti-Cena, it just wasn't an attraction people wanted to see. Cena's working this was, was pretty bad at times. As I let out a big exasperated, what was that? Again, I saw myself when Cena did a dreadful jumping hip toss. And I felt much the same way watching, watching it again. Now, Cena got an OK reaction for title win. And this was, in hindsight, a really significant moment historically. But as I said, it just wasn't, this wasn't a combination of people. The J, J, no one really wanted to see JB as champion. And I don't think Cena was quite ready and certainly wasn't ready in front of this crowd. And I don't think Cena was ever over in front of the WrestleMania, quote unquote WrestleMania crowd in the way that the company wanted him to be for years, years and years and years. But I, I have to say that all said, fair play for WWE. And this was kind of maybe I was thinking about this being my talking point in terms of making baby faces. Fair play for WWE on this night for going with John Cena and giving him a chance. Because I think if Cena loses here, it hurts him. And this was the time to give him the title, I think, uh, whether he was ready or not. So, you know, you can only set him up to fail, but you might set him up to succeed. And ultimately, Cena was re- like a massively, massively important person in his company for the next 10 years. So, yeah, fair play to them. I think they did they did something right here, albeit the journey to get there was a little bit painful. And just I'll say on this, uh, while I agree with that opinion, Stephen, it does feel like everything right now is coloured still by the fact that Cody didn't win the title at WrestleMania 39, uh, 39 with yourself right now. Big time. <laughs> Absolutely, Matt. Yeah, first things the the you know the the statement you had from from the book there very quickly just want to go with yeah I can, can easily imagine why JBL would have said that I mean I, I do think that at the time the company thought that Batista was gonna be the guy which is why he went last which is why he had the big massive pyro display it's why he had Triple H you know as his opponent you know it's why he had that massive storyline all the indicators pointed at Batista being the guy so. I don't really think that, you know, they, they necessarily, you know, made a mistake or whatever with that. But obviously, in hindsight now, it is certainly interesting to see how fortunes did change not, not so long after. JBL as WWE champion is, do you know what? Fuck it, I'll go with it. J- JBL was the worst WWE champion he's ever been. This run was piss poor. Now, he won the title from Eddie Guerrero, who, you know, God bless him, but it, it basically it looked like he, he struggled with the pressure of being champion. So, all right, okay, fair enough. They, you know, Brock Lesnar and Long Life, they were scrambling for somebody. That was the guy they went with. They didn't have anybody else. Okay. But his run with the title was just god-awful. Shit match after shit match. Crap finish after crap finish. You know, repeated, you know, oh, he gets away, you know, at the 11th hour, he manages to escape with the title. His, his reign sucked. And to your point, Stephen, I, I think it was, it wasn't that people didn't want to see John Cena versus JBL. They didn't want to see JBL. Simple as. The, when you notice, when you mentioned about the uh, the $100 bills that came down that did have his face on, mm. I so wish I had it. But I actually have one of those that a friend bought for me as a birthday gift. I don't know what it is, but if I have it, I will post a picture of it. Yeah, the, the thing I thought you were going to say with, with the book, Ben, is that it's so – I can't even fathom this now, but this was the debut of John Cena's My Time Is Now theme song. This was ah. the very first night when he debuted. Because I remember at the time thinking – the hell is this about? 
And now, as soon as you cured it, it's, it's completely iconic for him. Yeah, for, for me, to this day, that this is my least favourite WWE Championship match with the title changing hands. And I can definitely tell you that the reason why is because they, as much as JBL is not the best worker, that both of them were capable of more. And they proved that. They had a rematch the month after under I Quit Rules at Judgment Day, which was a great match. So the two of them were definitely capable of more. And okay, you know, they needed to further, you know, the feud and everything. But do you know what? They could have done an I, you know, an I Quit match or some form of stipulation here. Just be done with it. Because JBL's not the type of guy who they were going to go with long term as, as an opponent. It was a very poor, I mean, I say it was a poor match. Technically, there was nothing wrong with it. But it was just, it was very short. It was to the point. And they, they did what they needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, the. I remember at the time thinking, oh, okay, is that it? You know, when the finisher happened. And I felt sorry for John Cena because I, I know you said this, Stephen, that the crowd celebrated for them. I mean, you know, you, you were there. You probably, you know, got a better idea than me. But I can tell you now, I have been at public raffles where people winning the winning raffle ticket got more of a reception than John Cena did for winning the WWE Championship. You, you could tell by the look on his face, he was trying to you know, will the people. Yes, I've done it. Nobody give a shit about him. And that was a travesty because the feud for this leading up to it, people were behind him. And, you know, for all the talk of people saying, oh, you know, people never, they people loved John Cena for, for a good while. And leading up to this, they, they certainly loved him then, but it looked like nobody cared. What I think is really key at this show is it's all travel. So so you've got a really small arena, say for something smaller than Madison Square Garden. If you had an arena somewhere, Cena would be far more popular but this is not a dome crowd where you've got 30,000 fly-ins and 30,000 locals. This is every pretty much everyone in that was a travel packager. So diehard, smart, quote-unquote. And he just, he what him and Batista suffered it a bit, just weren't getting the reactions that, and I think it's because of work rate. I think it's work rate related that kind of those, those fans that would have cheered Benoit the year before just weren't there for Cena and Batista. I think they probably thought, the company's turning in a direction that I don't really like. Do you know what? I, I don't agree with that. Um, we'll, we'll get to it You know, when we talk about the Triple H Batista match, because at the time, before I, I watched that, I, I thought the reaction was the same. Batista got a hell of a reaction c- compared to what Cena did here for, for the title. Definitely game. more. Definitely more. Oh, oh, oh yeah. hell yeah. I mean, like, like I said... It, <laughs> That's Triple H, though, because people wanted Triple H to lose, didn't they, I think? Do you know, it, it may be that, but I think it was as much that they as much that they wanted Batista to win and they weren't that into Cena winning here. So it, it was, you know, like I said, as far as the match goes, it just, it wasn't great. Thank God JBL never got another WWE Championship victory after this because God, he never needs to be anywhere near that belt ever again. Yeah, that, that, that's that's what, I, that's what I've got to say. For me, this is a bit throwaway, to be honest. And, and throwaway in terms of the quality, throwaway in terms of the length, really short match for, you know, WWE title. WrestleMania. And like I said at the start of the show, really, I had an impression of the show based on nothing. So I don't think I have seen, I think I've seen the Kurt Angle Shawn Michaels match before, probably seen the Undertaker Randy Orton match and the Rey Mysterio Eddie Guerrero match before, but I'm not sure I've watched anything else on it before. But I had an impression of what the show was based on just the names and the lineup. And my impression was this match is going to suck after the Kurt Angle Shawn Michaels match because John Cena versus JBL, Triple H versus Batista. I do not give a flying fuck about watching those matches. I really don't. This one in particular, because 
I still can't believe JBL was ever world champion, let alone WWE champion for nearly a year or whatever. It still it still surprises me to this day that he was the champion. You know, I think you're right. I, th- I think, Stephen, you're right. I think there is, a, I think there's definitely a work rate issue going on here. Not only that, but they've seen the stuff they want to watch. That's the thing. The crowd have seen everything they want to watch. They've seen the Mysterio Eddie Guerrero. They've seen the Money in the Bank. They've seen the Undertaker Randy Orton. They've seen Angle versus Michaels. That's what the majority of the fans who are going to this show are interested in seeing is those things. And when they get to this point, they, they've switched off. They're like, well, all the good stuff's done. We're going to stick around because it's the two main events of WrestleMania and the titles. But they, they don't feature the big performers in these matches, or at least the, the big in-ring, uh, the big work rate performers, I should say. Yeah, this just felt really forgettable. Instantly forgettable was, was the way I felt about it. Then we get the highlights of the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. This is a strange place for this as well, I thought. Before the main event, I was really surprised by this. The, the class... Of 2005, are Bob Orton Jr., Nikolai Volkov, Iron Sheik, Paul Orndorff, Jimmy Hart, Roddy Piper, and Hulk Hogan. The group are then introduced again in front of the live crowd by Mean Gene Oakland. Nothing particularly notable about this either, except for where it was placed. I thought that was a very odd placing for it. During the ceremony, someone wolf whistled Brooke Hogan when she came on screen. I don't know if this is on. If this has been cut out of the network version. But Hogan said she's only 16 years old, brother. And I should say it wasn't it wasn't me to steal a line from Shaggy. It wasn't it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> but I remember that being uh, it was an interesting Hall of Fame because lots of it was it was kind of the year before was in a, like a flat function room in, in a in a Hilton. And this was in a kind of a theatre, I suppose, like amphitheatre at Universal. Um, but people were some people were dressed up, some people weren't. It was just a, it was odd and it was much shorter. It was really short, the show. I think Hogan was only on for sort of tw- maybe tw- 15, 20 minutes. So it's just a, it was good, but it was a, it was a weird, weird, a far weirder experience. And I think uh, for Hall of Fames, it didn't ever get any better, I don't think, for the ones I went to, certainly. I can't help but laugh the fact that they, they managed to get Sylvester Stallone. The idea of it, if they had a celebrity, the calibre of Sylvester Stallone today, they would shit themselves with glee. I can't imagine <laughs> how happy they must have been. They thought, oh my God, yes. I'm, I have a problem with that a little bit. I'm not sure this. I think this was a period of Stallone's life where he wasn't actually that big a deal anymore. Like I've, I've, and I've spoken about this before. There's a curve to this. There's the peak popularity years. Then there's the oh they're really old and shit. We don't like them. And then there's the nostalgia pop. The nostalgia rise again that kicks in. I think Stallone's at the trench of that particular curve at this point point in time. Also, again, WWE do have Bad Bunny, Logan Paul working in the ring regularly for them at the moment so i don't think that's right at all i think they i think they get the stars that they are happy to get right now it's pre-rocky yeah. balboa wasn't it it was 2007 rocky yeah. Balboa. yeah yeah so yeah so it's it's in it's, it's yeah it's still nowhere near as important you know in any way so i, I don't know that's, that's fair i genuinely did forget about bad bunny and logan paul for a second <laughs> Next up, we get the hype video for Triple H versus Batista. Batista's frustration growing with playing second Second (laughs) fiddle to Triple H. Batista wins the Rumble and chooses to face Triple H for the World Heavyweight title at WrestleMania and stay on Raw. Motorhead then play the game for Triple H to enter to the ring for the second time. And it realizes this happened again. Not particularly well executed this time, I didn't think. I thought they were a bit rubbish. Although I did like Triple H rising through the trap door. That was so good. And then he comes out and does exactly what he does as as usual with his entrance. Anything you want to comment on about the two bits before the main event? I thought Lemmy averaged about one in eight correct words during the performance. <laughs> Solo game. 
play, hit, <laughs> control, to hit Yang. Couldn't really you know, get all the words out anymore, could he, the poor bugger? No. <laughs> he is quite unique in that he's a bass-playing frontman, which doesn't tend to happen very often. So that's quite cool. I, I did think two two quick things. One, I, I know we've talked about his tan before, but my God, did Triple H look like he'd been tangoed before he came? My God, he was orange. And yeah, the, the hype video for this, you know, the the the, the, the storyline between these two. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier how they did such a shit job with Randy Orton. This was the polar opposite in how perfect a job they had done of making Batista seem like the biggest threat to the world title. They They did a phenomenal job of building this match fair play yeah i've always i've always understood this to have been a very good build though i wasn't witness to it i've always understood that people really valued it as a great bit of storytelling that wwe did on the course of this match so then we get the match a 21 minute 21 and a half minute match for the world heavyweight title triple h is accompanied by rick flair for this one at the end comes when triple h goes for a recruit for a pedigree but it's blocked by batista by his shoulder neck muscles i guess batista then powers out hits the Batista bomb and gets the win. Good pop for Batista, I've written here. After the match, Triple H gets up. Batista poses with the belt and Triple H rolls out of the ring. He's helped back by Ric Flair. Matt? In terms of achieving the objective and achieving the end goal, they did it. Like I said, you know, the, the end goal was to put Batista over strong, make him look like the man, you know, the new world heavyweight champion. And they did. They did that. Crowd, crowd, like I said, I thought that the crowd loved it. It looked like they were clearly a fan of Batista and they were happy that he won match-wise. And we've talked about this a couple of times on the pod before, in that this is one of Triple H's downfalls, is that sometimes he just does things that he just doesn't need to. And it's quite arrogant. There was no need for him to go 20-odd, you know, to say it was a 21-minute match, something like that, you know, 21. There was no need for that. This needed to be shorter. And for him to drag it on at a point where I don't think Dave Batista was ready for that type of match, but just to do it because he's the mighty Triple H and he can lead Batista to that, I, I don't think the match was any good and it was quite poor and and it was a shame because again in exactly the same you know exactly the same situation as John Cena and JBL, the two of them proved they were capable of it because when they had the Hell in the Cell a month or two after that was a fantastic match. And now this bit a bit more gimmick. This could have been better. Now, to be fair, Dave did improve it and get a lot better. So, um, you know, kudos to him for that. But th- th- this was a-, a bad match. But that aside, again, like I said, it-, it sent the crowd home happy. It achieved the goal. He got to, you know, sit there, you know, rise, you know, raise the title above his head. Pyro going off. That's that's what you want from the end of the show. So it wasn't my taste, but it did what it was set out to do. I thought Dave was so inexperienced at this point. I'm not sure you could have done much better than this. And I, and I do take the point around uh, the, how long it was. But I, I think uh, you're, not, you're never going to get Triple H to agree to anything less than sort of 20 minutes, which is what they what they got. We've, we've sort of talked about the coronation and... I, th- I thought the people were definitely within more than Cena, but not overwhelmingly so, but not not terrible. And I do think they got into it towards the end. I didn't think it was objectively bad, just sort of there. I'm not quite sure as good as solid, but the last few minutes were decent. But again, fair play to the company for making a baby face. I think a baby face is the most important thing you can have, the most important commodity in a wrestling company. Is is your is your number one babyface, and that is got to, you've got to do everything you possibly can to, to protect someone when the people are with them and ride that wave. And I think the company was in 
you know, tried Benoit. Benoit was always probably going to be a, a short-term role that filled the gap at WrestleMania 20. Randy Orton, yeah, that was iffy. I think Randy had the potential to maybe work, but putting the title back on Triple H so quickly killed him and all the the stuff after that, it, it was dire. So this was the time. This was the time to, to try and pull the trigger. And, and I think actually it worked for both of them. If you look long-term for both of their careers, Batista, I remember when Batista gave this title up later in the year or, or would it have been early the following year, Matt, or, or later this year? Later this year? I think it was later in the year. Yeah, later in the year. To surrender the title, didn't he? I remember it so vividly. There were people crying in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. This is how this is how got our beloved this this cool kind of like sort of nightclub bouncer, but cool guy, and that he treats everyone quite nice. Like Joe, you know I mean, he, Batista and Cena were very different. And Batista, I always quite. Didn't, I wasn't massively anti-Cena at this point, and I became more anti-Cena. But Batista, I always thought Batista was more the guy that you want it to be like rather than seeing this like this cheesy cartoon character over here. So I think more of the adult male fans were with Batista and he, and he they were stars. Look at Batista now, you know, he's an absolute movie mega star. So the, the company pulled the trigger and I think, you know, they deserve the plaudits for doing this on this night because it would have been easy to screw one of them out of the title, but it was just important to, this is, these are the guys we're, we're hitching our wagon to. And there we go. Yeah. I mean, I think they needed it. I think they really needed it. I think given, what the roster was by this point a lot of guys were either had been around for ages or had or had been they tried but not gone there even i'd even go as far as say with like chris jericho for example they tried and it just wasn't he wasn't meant to be a main event guy really and obviously benoit by this point had already had his go they, they had angle but there, there was obviously issues there with angle that would, would sort of materialize over the next year they needed it they needed this fresh impetus of main event guys I think the choices of guys are really interesting because they were both back to the body guys that Vince loves. Two very different body guys, but still the body guys. And I was thinking before when we were talking about Cena, that these two winning probably prompted them to, or it probably made them feel more comfortable about going back to being PG when they did, because they thought, well, we've got the two guys now that, that actually appeal to a younger audience anyway than than the, the sort of more adult male crowd that have been around since the Attitude Era, for example. But I think you're right with Batista. There was a sense that he could still do the harder edge stuff better. Cena just felt like juvenile, whereas Batista mm. felt like a man, basically. Cena yeah. just felt like a little teenager that you kind of wanted to swat away, whereas Batista felt like a man. <laughs> and I think Batista suffered after this point for two reasons first of all that move to pg probably did become a problem for him because i think he probably would have appreciated a more adult presentation in general he was very outspoken on it <laughs> yeah but also his move to smackdown i think affected him i it made perfect sense right because cena batista had not done anything with the people on the other brand so they had a whole new raft of options including obviously the following year's wrestlemania main event but batista going to smackdown meant he got the the bum deal there even though obviously he did have the matches with the undertaker there wasn't a lot else that he could do on smackdown there was a lot else he could work with it's a point where i think we um reviewed no mercy 2006 i think last last year or the year before and he's like against finley and, and lashley and, and people that are either not ready or are really old if finley <laughs> passed his best late 90s you know so it's like i'm not saying he's a bad wrestler at all don't get me wrong but he, you know he's very old by the time he's facing batista so it just felt like he, he suffered from that point of view as well and the fact that wwe have always portrayed smackdown as the the b 
brand certainly certainly during this period they did so i think he kind of he kind of suffered from that too in terms of this match it was a bit better i thought than the cena jbl match but not a lot going for it really i agree with you both i think batista just wasn't really ready for such a long match and probably wasn't ready for such a big stature of a match either like you know it feels a bit like the batista push was brought forward a long way because of what happened with Orton. I think they probably were hoping that Orton's push would be able to be sustained for a longer period of time, in which case they would be able to keep Batista with with Evolution for longer, but then that didn't materialise, and so, you know, they had to kind of do this with him. And Triple H is just Triple H, as always. I've got to, you know, I've got to have the wrestling match, I've got to have the long, drawn-out contest. I'm good enough to carry this guy to a match when he's not triple h for me is a man who has dined out on one year of great in-ring work for uh, 20 years after that point i'm not saying he hasn't had good matches since then he has but his reputation as a very good wrestler has come entirely from that one year and i don't think since then he's really done anything uh, anywhere near the consistently consistent quality since then so that's the whole show we have our two new world champions and it's time for our overall thoughts. Any blanks as well in terms of MVP and match of the night? Let's start with you, Stephen. So in terms of show overall, I look back on this one really fondly. And I'm definitely, but I'm, I'm without doubt biased. This is the last the set of shows I'm on from the original run of WrestleMania's I did. So to steal a line from Queen, those were the days of our lives. The bad things in life were so few. Those days are all gone now. But one thing is true. When I look and I find I still love you. Everything was exciting. Everything was new. And I would tear my bollocks off on air to go in a time machine and do this all again. It was the absolute time of my life. This whole period also makes me think of a superb song by Jimmy Eat World called 23. Then if you're familiar with that, you know what I'm talking about, Matt. I was 23 for this and that album came out the year before. So like, I just think of it the whole time. It's just an absolute epic song. Uh, and yeah, what a time to be alive. We walked back to the hotel from Staples Centre with the guys from Grimsby. I may have mentioned lovely guys from Grimsby, Tom and Sam. Hope you're well. And we played Paul and drank beers in the sports bar. WrestleMania, someone put WrestleMania 20 DVD on. This is probably, at the time, this is easily top 10, maybe even top five down my life. Still top 25 now. What I've said in all that pathetic emotion is, oh, I haven't said, is my score out of 10. Um, and I thought then, as I do now, the weakness of the show is the final two matches. However, they did make two baby faces, so I can't give them too much of a hard time for that. And they both worked out. So, yeah, there's no nonsense about letting the story play out. They just pulled the trigger. So WrestleMania 21 scores 7 out of 10 for me. Um, a bit of an underrated forgotten one, but this is a strong card, a strong show uh, up until the last two matches. Who was your MVP? Kurt. Cool. Matt. Okay, so my MVP of the night was, again, Shelton Benjamin for his epic performance during that Money in the Bank ladder match. My match of the night has to be Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels, despite the uh, slight mistakes in it for making it near perfect. In terms of my overall score of the show, believe it or not, for me, other than WrestleMania 17, this was my contender for greatest WrestleMania of all time, and has been for a very long time for me. That being said... Haven't gone back and obviously as we've done and watched the shows, I don't think it holds up just as well as I remember it. So it has dipped in quality slightly for me. So that being said, I'm going to give it what is still a very respectable 7 out of 10. Good, cool. My match tonight is Money in the Bank. I think my MVP, I'm going to give it to Randy Orton, given how attractive he is, Stephen. I think you've borne me <laughs> over there. I'm going to give it 6 out of 10. And I think for me, that's a reflection of the main events i just think that they're just not they're not good enough and they don't hold up the the first hour of this show is excellent it, i mean it really is in fact you know i'd argue right up to the end of the angle Shawn michaels match you're looking at 
a potentially all-time great WrestleMania. If the two main events come in on that trajectory or come in on that level, you are looking at a contender, certainly, against WrestleMania 19, against WrestleMania 17, which I think are, of the ones we've covered so far, probably the two, they are the two highest rated on average that we've done so far. But after that, the, the show just falls off a cliff. There's the sumo match, there's the two forgettable world title world title level matches and that is hugely important because it's the main events they're the main event that's what really matters ultimately and i, I imagine there are people at home who were very happy that those two cena and batista won you're absolutely right Stephen. i'm not going to question the logic behind that they obviously worked certainly in cena's case they worked spectacularly batista's case still got a main event over for the next five years or so out of this guy you can't argue with it really um but they just were never for me either man were never really my kind of my kind of thing at a time when probably I was looking for more so than certainly now, probably was looking for work rate and, and athletic ability. I don't care about that so much now. And they might, if they came along now, might be more important to me or they might be more appealing to me. But at this period, I wasn't looking for that kind of thing. And WWE was going in that direction. They were moving away from the, the work rate guys. So that's what we got. And so for me, it's again, also, not really watching it at the time. It's just not a period I look back on particularly fondly at all. And all of that is summed up in what, on paper, is a great show. And if you had different matches in different places, could be a great, absolutely great, great show. But it's also very difficult to talk yourself out of putting the two world title matches on last, which is perhaps what they, what they shouldn't have done. But, you know, as I say, it's very difficult to talk yourself out of that. So WrestleMania 21, that is in the books. One second, I'm just going to quickly try and input this on my little table. In terms of where that falls, it's only below, it's only below th- two shows so far, 17 and 19. So it's not done too badly at all. And I would put it there, actually, in fairness. Um, I think there are better, actually, from my personal taste. But I think in terms of wider opinion, I would suggest that's probably about where it would slot in terms of the first 21 WrestleMania. So I would agree completely, yeah. Okay, well, that is everything we've got to do today. So all that's left for me to say is, Matthew, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure as always. And Stephen, thank you for your contributions. A pleasure as always, gentlemen. Thank you very much. We're all off to go and find some age-appropriate clothing, but until next time, (laughs) take care.